My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of virtuous masculinity happening around the world today. My guest this week is a husband, father, strength and fitness coach, and the host of the Nomad Strength podcast, Ross Hillier. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. Maybe you've caught wind of it, but there's a conversation brewing among Christians in America. It involves words like nationalism and dominion. The idea is that if secular people can't drive the bus of civilization, and despite their protests to the contrary, we have 250 years of evidence saying that they can't, then maybe it's time for Christians to take the wheel. Sounds pretty good, you say, right? Well, there's just one problem. How can Christian men expect to take dominion over a nation if they can't take dominion over their own bodies? And while there's many directions I can go with that, including porn, video games, and social media addiction, in this case, I mean something more personal and serious. Diet, exercise, and fitness. Yes, I said some bad words. Caring for, disciplining, and cultivating our bodies is Christian, and I'm tired of pretending otherwise. Plenty of other men are, too. Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Coach Ross Hillier, and he's a strength and fitness coach, host of the Nomad Strength Podcast, husband, father of two, and brother in Christ. The tagline on his website reads, Building Men into Leaders Through Strength and Fitness. In the masculinity space, those ideas are commonplace, of course, but sometimes it seems in the Christian world that they make men uncomfortable. To that I say, good, let's get uncomfortable. It is the year of hurt feelings, after all. In our conversation, Ross and I discussed his transition to parenthood, the amazing capability of children, why men need community and brotherhood, minimalism and achievement and fitness, the dangers of celebrity as faced by the liver king, and finally, fitness as a process and journey. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. This is a free podcast that takes effort to produce. If you'd like to give back, you can do so by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify and sharing this episode with a friend. Also, you can find this episode on the Renaissance of Men YouTube channel, which you can access by visiting youtube.com slash at Ren of Men. I'm very close to the 1,000 subscriber mark, which would be a huge accomplishment. So every subscriber right now counts. And if you enter at Ren of Men, you can find me causing problems on both Twitter and Instagram as well. This episode is sponsored by my 12-week Renaissance of Men mentorship. The world says masculinity is toxic. Everything the world says is backwards. That means masculinity is medicine. Keep listening to find out more or visit renofmen.com slash mentorship to view testimonials and read all about it. For a limited time until the end of January, you can use the code INTRO to get 15% off. 
but you'd better move fast because my spaces are filling up. And please welcome this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, the host of the Nomad Strength podcast and the reigning emperor of the Barbell Tavern. For now, Coach Ross Hillier. Coach Ross, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. It's been a long time in the works. Yeah, we've been trying to make this happen for for a while. You had a you had a new baby, which you know that kind of got in the way. How a inc- little bit? How well, she's, she's not in the way. Let's start there. <laughs> what? <laughs> the what? timing was less than ideal, but that's how it goes. <laughs> oh, babies are they're so inconsiderate, <laughs> right? <laughs> what do you what do you think you're doing being born? <laughs> right? No, it's been it's been awesome, man. I mean the the last handful of months, she just turned five months the other day, and this is our second and. Uh, it's been nothing but a, just a giant blessing ever since. And uh, things change in your schedules and in other priorities when that happens, but that's what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, was, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. So yeah, um, I, I'm not married, don't have any kids. So I, I get, always get to learn by listening to a lot of men who are and who do have yeah. kids. So talk about like going from zero to one and then from like one to two as yeah. a man, as a husband, as a father, all of these? I'll start from single to married because mm-hmm. that was a decent uh, change. My wife and I have actually known each other since I was 13 years old. Uh, and she's about two, she's two years older than me. So I was, uh, I was an eighth grader. She was a sophomore in high school when we met. We're from the same town. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were friends for a really long time. And then, you know, so we'd known each other for almost 10 years before we actually started dating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we dated for, I want to say how, I mean, maybe just over two years before we got engaged. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we were engaged eight months later after that. I mean, so like, it seems like all that happened fairly quickly, but there was 10 years of like friendship prior to that almost, you know, and, uh, going from single to married was a, a decent change. I was 23 when we got married. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was one of the first of my, like my group of friends to have gotten married. And so that was like, I didn't really have any friends I could talk to about that kind of stuff that were <laughs> like my friends. Sure. I had like all the older guys that I had known and, you know, uh, uh, other guys that I had worked with that were older, been married a handful of years, but like none of my friends. So it was really something I was missing was like, Hey, you know, how's it going with your guys's marriage? Are there these things coming up? Um, but it was great. And we were, we were married five years, four years before we were, uh, before my wife became pregnant with our first mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, a boy who's now three and a half years old and married to one child, uh, was, was a pretty, it's a pretty interesting change in, in social life. Uh, because again, there, we were the first of our friends to have a child. Mm-hmm. And so like almost immediately we're the ones that aren't, hanging out with everybody now Bye, everyone. <laughs> pretty much like it, it literally just happened. So there was a little bit of like sadness in that. Like we would, we would see our friends multiple times a week and do things with them. And then all of a sudden that was no more. And there's some immediate sadness there, but at the same time, it's not really sadness because there's so yeah. much joy for what's now happening Yeah, and, and thankfulness that everything, that everybody's healthy and that it's just a whole new chapter. So, you know, you, you mourn that maybe a little bit, but not really. Cause I'm just really excited about, Hey, now we've got this, this little man that's, um, that we're responsible for. And so far from one child to two, I mean, 
I, I don't I don't actually feel bad for saying this at all. Um, don't worry, like, no one will hear it. <laughs> but uh, like, it's been really easy. <laughs> so how dare you? How dare like, you, sir? Like I always feel like I always almost kind of feel a little bit guilty when you know you hear people have like all these. Oh, it's so tough having kids, and like I understand how it can be, and how adding to that can sometimes maybe exponentially grow hardship. But I think if you're not really solid in a lot of ways that just makes that worse. Yeah. You know, but yeah. we're, we're blessed to have some good rhythms and some good routines within the family structure already. And then on top of that, the second one, she is literally like the easiest child I've ever been around in my life. Like mm. she is the sweetest, smiliest, like even when she wasn't feeling good for a couple of weeks over the last month, she was still smiling. And like, I mean, it's like, I, I'm so humbled and blessed by that. But at the same time, I'm just like, I, this is kind of easy right now with two. I mean, she's only five months old and they don't really do a lot at this point, you know? Mm -hmm. So I imagine when she's in a year or so, and then we've got a, you know, a toddler and a four-year-old, I might be having a different conversation with you at that point. (laughs) Oh, I'll have to check in then. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Let's check in with Ross and see how things are going. Ross, (laughs) help. No, I'm just kidding. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sending up smoke signals. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, that's, uh, I'm I'm really, um, I'm happy to hear that because I, I lived in San Francisco throughout my 20s and a lot of my 30s. And the attitude in San Francisco, which I think is more reflective also of liberal and secular culture, is that, you know, children is the death of you, mm. right? That's the, that's, I, I, I would almost say that those are almost the words that are, that are used, right? That this idea that children is a, is a death that you don't want to experience. And even people who have kids express a sense of resentment about it. You know, like, oh, I've got to go take care of the kids. It's like like children are, are a burden or something like that, that yes. someone has saddled them with the expectation of having kids. And so they better just do the thing. Let me just bring this life into reality. Oh, hey, it's you again. You know, yeah, exactly. And and I can I, I can understand how making that transition in your early or mid 20s from, you know, uh, from hanging out with friends and, and having a great time to being responsible and being a parent can come with some grief attached to it naturally because it's a life transition. But if you can't, if you can't actually see and lean into the joy on the other side of that, like how miserable are you going to be for a while, which reflects secular liberal culture? Well, and I think too, that, that like we were almost at an advantage doing it earlier because yeah. we only had a few years of that, uh, you know, twenties life or whatever before becoming parents. And so we weren't like the what what you see so much now where people are holding off until their mid thirties or whatever yeah. to begin having kids. And they've built 15 years to 20 years of like this either party culture or like any of these other things that don't mean anything, mm-hmm. but they've built this whole life around it. And when we got married, I was 23. She had just turned 25 and we're like, we're building a life. Like this is the life we're building now. Right. Like we didn't, yes. you know, I came, we, I came straight out of college. I was, we were engaged six months later from when I graduated college mm-hmm. and uh, like that started the building of a life. It wasn't like we were going to go do this other thing for a decade. And then we were thinking about family and quote unquote settling. Like that never crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's a really, that's a really good observation that when you, when you build up 15 years or more of momentum towards this, you know, independent dual income, no kids kind of lifestyle, mm-hmm. it's hard. It's really hard to let that go, es- yeah. especially because, in, in San Francisco, there was always a new crop of young people coming in to fuel that lifestyle, right? Sure. And so it's yeah. always kept 
seemingly alive and vibrant. There's always another thing to go see and another restaurant to check out and another bar to go to another nightclub. It's always something. And so letting it go feels like, oh, like the ultimate fear of missing out forever, like eternal FOMO, right? But it's like, what have you actually missed out on ever? (laughs) It was the Mm -hmm. same this year as last. Exactly. And, And so to actually take in that step in the early 20s when we're supposed to take that step, it makes it so much easier. And I'll tell you now too, uh, the times that I would spend with my, like, I, I, I don't mean this to say like, I don't miss that time because mm-hmm. we had great times hanging out with my friends, but the time now of like just sitting in our living room and watching my three-year-old do, be a three-year-old, mm-hmm. like it's hilarious because toddlers are unbelievably funny humans yeah uh just naturally and inherently you know as they're learning all of these things but just like that time is so much better and so much more fulfilling than anything i was doing with my friends prior even though i love our friends right like we still are good friends with all of them and now all of them have kids and multiple kids so now we're actually kind of like coming back into friendship together because now we have this shared thing where like our friends can or our kids can be friends and like we're coming back together now as friends after like four or five years, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but the times that we just are doing, you know, I've, I've seen it a lot recently and it actually makes me really happy is this, this concept of seek out being boring, like kind of mm-hmm. the, the monotony, the day-to-day stuff that you're, you're building something diligently daily yeah. and you're spending that time like raising children and, and building a family like, it, it looks from the outside pretty monotonous and kind of boring, but like, that's the, that's the best stuff in the world. Like that we get, we're so attached to like this flashiness and thinking we have to like be doing something and, and we have to be excited about stuff all the time. Like I'm, I'm feeling way more fulfilled in life now than when I was even thinking about chasing that kind of stuff before. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think social media has made that worse. This idea that we always have to yeah. be able to have something to show off or show for it. Yeah. Like, look at this cool, awesome thing that I'm doing. And it's like, yeah, great. But the idea that we all have to be chasing that and that there's something wrong if you're not, that if you're doing the right. quote, slow, boring thing to actually raise an adult human successfully, that mm-hmm. will themselves raise additional adult humans. It's the most, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Now it's not exciting. Right. Maybe from the outside, it's not always flashy for social media. Right. There's nothing really to brag about. You know, when you see like, oh, I saw moral development in my child. It's like, (laughs) you're not going to take a photo of that. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? That doesn't make a good Instagram post usually. No, no, but exactly. It's like, it's, it's, I think it's a, it's the shallowness and the superficiality of culture in a way that it's like, oh, if you can't, does it, if you can't show it off, does it really exist? Right. Exactly. And, uh, and again, like, those times while they may not while they may not be exciting right like quote unquote exciting uh or you may not see like from the outside why is this such a big deal i'll tell you right now in 15 years when you look at my son and my daughter mm-hmm. like you're going to see it then and it's going to be pretty cool yeah. you know what i mean yeah and i was actually um to that point i was i was thinking recently that you know the the difference the gap between the children of uh, homeschool Christian mm. parents, un uh, ungenetically altered, let's say, you know, <laughs> with uh, right with time. I want to keep my podcast. No, just kidding. at this point, at this point, no one cares. But um, <laughs> it's all coming out anyway. But all right. you know, um, homeschooled with 
proper values, time in the sun, non, you know, real foods, right? Yeah. Exercise, good values, sleep, limited screens, all these things. The gap that's going to develop between those children and the children of, of let's say, mainstream normie parents is, li- I mean, going to be superhuman. Like it's yeah. uncrossable, literally uncrossable. Yeah, there's a there's there's a distance that will be developing, like you said, a gap that and, and it will become very evident at early ages too. Mm. you know, I mean, even by the time, you know, school age happens, like you're going to see a lot of differences. And then that's just going to keep widening the older the older the kids get. It's going to be pretty fascinating to see over the next, you know, especially in the school age years, like while our kids are at home. I mean, it's something I'm incredibly excited about because I already see like, I already see this potential in my son, obviously, because he's, you know, the other one's five months old. Like I said, mm-hmm. she doesn't do much yet, but the personality and like the the character traits that I'm seeing develop in my son, uh, I was making a joke and, and I say joke, like it's half a joke, right. <laughs> but, but uh, a couple of weeks back, you know, it's it's a trait that he has that it's going to serve him so much as he gets older. Uh, but right now, so but I'm trying really hard. So I'm trying really hard to not squash this trait, mm-hmm. right? Because it can be very difficult as a parent. My son is the most stubborn human that maybe has ever existed on planet Earth. And it <laughs> obviously gets like, that from his mother. Obviously gets that. <laughs> and so, but I know how how important and useful that trait is going to be for him as yeah. he gets older and becomes a man. So I'm I'm really doing my best to like not squash this in him now by just constantly getting on him about, hey, I, you know, you're really just not listening to me right now. And you're just doing all these things that you want to do because I told you to do it. So you don't want to do it because I said it. But if yeah. you were to choose this on your own, he'll like it's that kind of thing. Right. <laughs> yes. And so like and that's such a independent person trait like he is he is going to be so self-reliant when he gets older and and have such strong belief in himself and his abilities it's amazing uh so i'm really like i said doing my best to not to to not squash that right now but it's one of those things where uh i'm seeing all of this come up in him now and it's so cool to see like all these little different personality things pop up like oh that's definitely your mother or that's definitely me like yeah, you yeah. know some of them you're like sorry man that you got that for me like i'm my like, bad exactly not yeah. much i could do there that's what all the that's what all the fathers i know have have said like tanner guzzi <laughs> talks a lot about how children will really um show you what your shadows are not just yeah. in the process of parenting but also mm-hmm. seeing them in in your offspring Yes. And, uh, but then also your good qualities as well. Like I've talked, yeah. I've talked, I've talked often on the podcast about how I was living in New Zealand before I moved back to the United States in 2020, just before COVID hit, like I got back into Phoenix just, just before it all went down. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, um, I was looking to, to marry this woman and, um, we never actually got engaged, but that's the direction I thought things were heading. And she had, mm-hmm. she had four, four young daughters who I absolutely mm-hmm. loved and, and we're still in touch. So everything's, everything's cool. I wish them sure. uh, Christmas and stuff. But I was going to be a stepfather, and um, there and there was something very appealing about that. But I had never actually given much thought to the difference between being a stepfather and no disrespect to any stepfathers at all. Like it's a it's a beautiful calling. 
the difference between that and being a father and seeing your own nature reflected to you yeah. and children. And I, once I got that, I was like, oh, wow, that's a, that's a thing. I'd never really thought about it before. Yeah, it is. And it's, and with, with the two that we have, like with the older one specifically, it's funny because he is in physical features, spitting image of my wife, mm-hmm. but he acts just like I do. <laughs> and the other sure. one is the spitting image of me. And so I'm, and I'm hoping that she's going to act just like her mother did as a child who was just like this saintly, quiet, beautiful little girl. And, uh, but it's like you said, you see these things that come up out of nowhere, really. And it's like, wow, I didn't even know at this age, like they were capable of this kind of thought process, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm learning how smart children actually are. And yeah. they're not generally treated as being these actually capable, smart little humans. Oh, we, yeah. tend, we tend to think, you know, the children, they don't know anything. They need their hand held at every point through life. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's only true to a point. They are capable of so much more than people in modern era really give them credit for. I always think like back to, you know, 150 plus years ago, I think it was maybe in the Civil War, there was like a, a kid who was had worked his way up to be like a captain of a unit in the civil war. And he was like 14 years old. Oh yeah. I believe it. And You know what I mean? And so like, there's that kind of thing where he didn't just was like this little handheld, you know, breastfed till he was 11 child. And then they threw him in the army and he was a captain in three years. Like that kid was, uh, was growing up mm-hmm. and was developing those traits from the time he was a toddler. Mm-hmm. And by the time he was, I mean, cause it's, we've, we've put off adulthood more and more and more and more over the course of the last century where, you know, now it's literally like, I don't know, you can be like 30 years old and still be on your parents' health insurance or something like that. Like there's whatever the number is late twenties, I think. And you know, that's 25, 26, at least something like that. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Like there's, we're, we're at every point telling people not to have real adult responsibilities and go be adults that have critical. And that's part of it too, is like, they don't want actually more people thinking. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. Let's keep everybody dumb kids and and distract them over here with shiny shows and like crappy food and make them all fat and docile. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was. Uh, I've often said that age is a psyop. This idea that like, okay, now you're now you're 13 and you're going to be in high school, and then you know when you're in high school, then you then you have to go to college. Right. That's right. just what you do when you're 18 to 22. And then now you have to get, go to graduate school. And so then you're 25 and then, you know, you should enjoy your twenties a little while. And then, and then you're right. in your thirties and you have to build your career. And then once you get far enough along with that, then you're ready to actually have kids and congratulations, you're now 40 and you've climbed the corporate ladder right. or whatever. And it's like, and when you strip all that away and that's so heavily programmed into our culture, mm-hmm. you know, especially the, the wild and crazy twenties, like 22 to 30 for both men and women, it's so programmed, right? And so yes. letting that go, as we talked about earlier, is a big thing. But then when you look back through history, you see the expectations of boys basically as soon as they, as soon as they hit puberty, right? You are expected. Mm-hmm. You are no longer a boy. Now, now you're literally a man, a young man, but a man nonetheless. And you're right. invested through initiation with responsibilities of the tribe. And there's no differentiation between you and an older man, except perhaps you know, in your, in your experience and your wisdom. I was going to say just experience. Yeah. yeah. Right. And maybe also some amount of physical strength because I think men's sure. bodies do continue to develop, but nonetheless, you're regarded as a man. And mm-hmm. when, when do, you know, when do uninitiated men become men today? I don't know, 65, you know, yeah, it's right. Really- There's no real, like, 
there's no point where we can say this is when you should be able to do these things. We're and and I don't know how you have that real transition point mm-hmm. without it being deliberate. You know, you like can't. we we have to have these, you know, whether or not it's a literal task or, you know, these traditional rites of passages, maybe that's part of it, but there's no point anymore where it's like you need to have you need to be responsible for this type of thing. You need to understand how to do this type of thing by the time you're 12, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. you know, like it can't be, I'm going to just coast until, like you said, I'm out of college and I'm 24 now or whatever after master's. And, and it's like, now I just am thrown out into the wilderness and I don't know how to do anything. Like I have no discernible mm-hmm. skills. I have no ability to connect with people. And uh, outside of whatever the little black mirror I'm connecting through there, like there's no yeah. face-to-face communication skills. And so it's, it's, makes a lot of sense when you see how things have been in the last 10 to 15 years, that that's the result of a lot of this, you know, mm-hmm. there was a, a really cool book, um, by Luther standing bear called, mm. uh, the way of the spotted Eagle land oh. of the spotted Eagle, excuse That'll me, be in the show notes, land of Luther, 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 land of the spotted Eagle, uh, Luther standing bear is the author. He was uh, one of the last chiefs, of the Lakota tribes in the northern mm-hmm. part, north, central, central northern part of the states, and uh, the whole book is really about like the inner, like the civil workings of the Lakota Sioux Indian tribes, okay, and like how they raised children and stuff. And it was really fascinating to read, like kind of what you're talking about. Like by the time, so first of all, the uh, they believed that no parent should have children closer than five years apart, uh, because okay. they needed to do a certain amount of teaching uninterrupted with a child for five years before they graduated that child to go further into, you know, whatever they're going to learn. Right. Okay. So, I, and if it was on a nomadic tribe based lifestyle, I can understand yep. that. Can't and grow so, outside of your ability to produce food to feed people. It, yep. And, and, uh, if you were a boy, by the time you're, when you turn four, you're given like a, a little reed bow and arrow, like one made out of reeds and stuff that you can just start practicing with when they're four years old. Like you're, you're ingraining in this, the importance of what this skill is. And by the time they're, I think when they turn six, they're literally turned over to the teenage boys. Like you're going to go with them now and Mm -hmm. they're going to base basically who raises you out. You know, you're learning how to hunt, you're learning how to fish, you're learning how to like build shelters, you're learning how to fight like from the older teenage boys and from the time they're six until they're one of the teenage boys. And it's really like the whole civil workings of this are, are, were fascinating to read because of the specific roles that they had mm-hmm. for everybody. And you essentially only had like three roles that you could serve as a man and a child. You're like you were oh, yeah. either a hunter, a warrior, and that was really the only two. And then he makes kind of the joke. He's like, or you're the magic man, but nobody was ever a magic man. Yeah, it's like you know, one like, of those guys. Yeah, there's like one yeah. of those every couple generations, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so uh, you're literally either a hunter or a warrior. So you start learning how to do those things from the time you're four years old. Mm-hmm. And like, that is crazy. I mean, like we, we think of that now, like, can you imagine training kids how to be like soldiers in the army when they're four-year-olds? Like what the reaction would be if that was a pop, like a practice that, people had caught on to mm-hmm. like it would like i can't even it, the world would like the internet would break yeah. if they found out like there was a group of people who were training kids to be soldiers with guns at four years old right, right? yeah <laughs> you know? yeah Sometimes. like it's crazy to think about but that's what it was have you seen that the video of that little girl like she's a little girl she can't be any older than seven mm-hmm. the oldest you know uh just dual wielding 
some guns, I think. Oh, I mean, yes, I have yeah, seen yeah, that yeah. one. It's, it's like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I think what's, what's so fascinating about that idea is that um, those boys, they grow up in their family, their mother and their father, but then they immediately become part of a larger fraternity of men. Yes. Yep. Like that's, that's the thing is you graduate yeah. from the world of, it's not necessarily just going from the world of the mother into the world of the father, which is the thing, but it's going from the world of the family into the world of men and, and say producing, you're hunting, you're, you're, your actual goal is to accomplish something on behalf of the tribe, right? That, that is independently developed. And, and I think working in corporate America, the corporate beast just kind of lumbers along and produces money for everybody. And there's a very different mentality between that and entrepreneurship. Like, no, you have to go kill something if you want to eat. Right. Yeah. And, and so boys used to get that in this tribal kind of, kind of mentality. There's no, there's no corporate food production, you know? Right. And so and it's it just, kills the competitiveness. Yeah. Yeah. You well, know? that's a great point too. Cause the boys are competing with each other. I'd imagine too. Yeah. Yeah, well, and just then that inner competitiveness, like I have to do this thing to survive, mm -hmm. you know, like that, that inner drive that is developing from competing with others. Like I'm trying to be the best here because I'm going to be the one that is providing, like literally providing an animal or whatever for us to survive on. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not just this hobby that I'm trying to get good at. Like our survival as a unit literally depends on us being successful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also, I think that's also the way a man would think about it. I think mm -hmm. a, a boy would be thinking about it, like wanting esteem from his brothers. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what he really, that, I think that's probably the more immediate need is like to be regarded highly in a community of other men for excellence and performance. I think that's yeah. probably like survival is this abstract concept for a little kid. I, I mean, well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say the, the, the brotherhood and the, the teamwork aspect of this that you're talking about, that it's why it's so important is also the reason that if you look at like most middle-aged men now, yeah. when you ask them like what their, what their best times in life were, or like when they were their happiest or when they were, they felt like they were their physically their best. It's almost always like high school football yeah. because that was like the last time that they were ever in a unit of other men at that age, like training hard, suffering together for a common goal. Mm -hmm. And then you turn 18 football's over for 99% of them. And they don't have anything like that in their life again after that. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and that's something that is needed forever. Like you don't just need that when you're growing and you need that teamwork and that brotherhood through adolescence and, and into your teenage years. Like you need that as adult men. Like forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, forever, forever. Mm -hmm. And this is why so many veterans, I'm not a veteran, but what I hear from many veterans is yes. that they actually miss being overseas. Yeah. They miss it. They, like maybe they're, they're hesitant to confess it for understandable reasons, yep. but they all say like, I kind of miss being in the Humvee. Not because yeah. they, they miss bullets and things blowing up, although there is, there is an aspect of adrenaline and being yeah. forced to be present in the moment that is that we all miss in our everyday lives. But it's like, you just have brotherhood. And then you send men back into the, you know, the world that as we have it now and men have no brotherhood where, I mean, we, and, and men struggle to even build it. We're all so yeah. busy and, you know, men don't know how to be around men anymore. It's, it's a real, it's a real tragedy. And, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. Right. And that's the, the, the problem when, when, especially when a lot of the military guys come back, they come back to their local area. Right. Yeah. And all of their, all of their 
friends that, and their brothers that they served with are from all over. Mm-hmm. So like there's nobody that they can be in person with or very rarely is there another person yeah. they can be in person with that they can share that with once they get home, you know, and that's I've, I've talked, I've, you know, the same, I have many friends uh, who have have served in, you know, multiple tours, you know, special forces guys that are kind of like lifers. Right. And mm-hmm. when they get out or they retire, they're like, this is the this the hardest part of it was coming back and like not being able to talk in person with anybody that knows what I'm going through. Yeah. Yeah. When I had uh, Jeremy Stolnecker from the Mighty Oaks Foundation on my podcast mm-hmm. a month or two ago. And that's kind of what what he was talking about. You know, men, they have these experiences overseas and then they come back and um, it's it's difficult, if not impossible to talk about. And they carry, you know, they carry traumatic memories. They carry their own upbringings and there's just no one around for them and they don't know how to verbalize them because there there's this idea like if you're not a veteran, you can't understand. And that may that may very well be true. And it probably is true in many really important ways. And and to the extent that it is true, there aren't the brothers around them. And there, and if they do have the brothers around them, when are you going to talk about it? You're going to get together in the garage? And they're like, no, you need pro- make men mm-hmm. have profoundly deep and powerful emotions, but we can't be expected to express them on demand. We need specific, dedicated, private, and sometimes even secret time to experience them with each other. Right. And that's where it's meant to. So then we can go back up into, we can go back into the world and zip it all up and and be the men that we're supposed to be. And we're by being deprived of brotherhood and deprived of, of uh, the secret and private time to talk about who we are. We carry this enormous burden everywhere with us. We go and inadvertently put it on other people because we don't have the, the tools or the resources that we need. And that society used to give us to bear these burdens. And it, isn't it interesting? I mean, that you and I both somewhat do something that we think is helping this problem, right? Mm. Where even though it's virtual in many accounts, like we're, we're building friendships and relationships and community for this very purpose of everything that we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, Because that's one of the good things that the internet and social media has done is allow people to connect and have those shared things. Like I would always prefer there to be the local meetup possibility if that's possible but you know sometimes it's just not where you live but you probably have internet and anymore you know like you probably have internet and you can find other people other men that are working on the same things that you are building toward the same things that you are and understand you maybe better than anybody in your immediate life locally yeah. right and that's one of the really cool things and that's you know why I one of the reasons why I loved going into the online space for, for my coaching, uh, because a, I just get to connect with people from all over. Um, but that community aspect of it can be so powerful that way. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a bit about your, about your coaching and, yeah. and what you offer, man. I know that you're a nomad strength and I was uh, curious, curious the meaning of that. And on the back half of that, I want to talk about some of the benefits and some of the drawbacks of the on- online community as well. But I, yeah. I do want to learn more about like what makes it nomad strength. What are, what are the values that inform what you do? So it started, so let me, let me start here. The, the word nomad, as it came from nomad strength, was originally Iron Nomad Fitness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that came a lot of words. from, and no, it was <laughs> a lot of words. Uh, I was in the gym world for several years, uh, mm-hmm. first at a big box style, you know, like gold style gym. It was a local place, but it was still, you know, that was the kind of the, 
the build out of the the gym. That was where I started. Mm-hmm. Um, and those places get a lot of bad rap. But what was amazing was I I was put in front of hundreds of people over the course of the couple of years. I mean, that I was there. Like yeah. I had hundreds and hundreds of training hours. I would I would say close to a thousand training hours or more, maybe 1500, 1600 training hours in the first like 18 months I was there. And, uh, so as a coach, just refining my, my coach's eye and learning how the human body works, I get to see people from all walks of life. You get to see those patterns in real life. Um, and then I left the gym space when my son was born, uh, because I wanted to take things kind of into my own hands. And mostly when you're in the gym world, you're working on people's work schedules, right? Like you're right. either there, you're early morning before they go to work and then you have pretty much nothing all day long except for some stay-at-home moms who come into the gym in the midday and then you're training everybody after they get off work from five to eight, yeah. right? And that's just not a very conducive lifestyle if you want to be around as a dad, yep. right? You know, and, and not to, you know, there's all kinds of dads that do all kinds of crazy hours and stuff and that's not, it just wasn't what I wanted out of my own business because I was running my own business. I'm like, I can control this. Why I can set this up how I want. So I made the move uh, originally when it became Iron Nomad. I had bought a five by eight cargo trailer and uh, about a thousand pounds worth of kettlebells, some sandbags. And I'd load that trailer up and I would literally drive around to like the local parks and train people in the local parks. Like we'd have group classes and train people in parks and stuff. And so I was, you know, I was a little bit nomadic with I'm, I'm bringing stuff to you guys, I'm driving around and stuff. It was very minimalist because we're only using like kettlebells, sandbags, body weight. We're out in nature. We're in the grass. You know, there was this kind of ancestral component to this that I really enjoyed. And I had come from sports performance. I was an athlete in college. I had done CrossFit, Olympic weightlifting. And then I had found kettlebells. And I'm like, there's something here that I really enjoy. There's a freedom to the kettlebell that you don't get in a lot of other training modalities because you can literally load two of them up in your car always. And no matter where you are, you can bang out a workout and have great training results. And so this concept of minimalist training, what's the, the, least, the most I could do with the least amount of stuff? And uh, how can I do this and still get great training results? And so this, this idea of nomad strength kind of just really became, it blossomed out of that where at the same time we had bought this house that we're currently in and it's a... Uh, it's a cottage style home, 750 square feet, it's two bedroom, one bathroom. And now there's four of us and hmm. a, a golden retriever, the size of a teenager that live hmm. in this, in this house. And so, but so everything in our lives was kind of downsizing at this point. And we're like, how can we, uh, you know, really get rid of stuff? It's like, yeah. how do we get rid of all this kind of clutter and stuff and, and really just work on being with each other and live this you know, material less life as best mm-hmm. we can. And the training really kind of came out of necessity. Cause I'm like, I, you know, I have these kettlebells and they're going to be here in my patio and my garage and my shed. And it's like, I don't want to go buy $10,000 home gym and have all of this stuff again. Right. And I want to have just a handful of things that I can still get. And it kind of just all, you know, it all blended in together at the same time. Like pretty much all of my clothes fit into this like two drawer table side thing right by our bed with the exception of a handful of things I got to hang up. Like that's Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And uh, so this idea of minimalist training, minimalist fitness really kind of took its own, took its own meaning for me personally. And so that's how I wanted to start training people because I had found great success training. Like I don't need 
the, I don't need to be under the fluorescent lights, listening to crappy music around people that don't actually train. You know what I mean? Like I can go, I can go out in the sun, barefoot in my yard, put on whatever music I want to listen to and train as hard as I want. And I feel great afterwards. And so that was how that started when I moved online. And I'm like, I'm going to write some programs and bring my coaching into the group model, which is mostly what I do now. Like I have a group training program where it's like a, a templated program that I write workouts weekly that the group of guys follow. We do weekly coaching calls where everybody catches me up on their training for the week. We have like a book club that we do as a member of that. Uh, we do like all these other things that, you know, build that community. Like we've been talking about, we're all, you know, most of the guys in there have been training with me for over 18 months. And when, when, and in the coaching world, like that kind of retention is pretty good. Like a lot of times you don't get clients to stay on that long, you know, it's six months to a year and then they're moving on. And that's, and you know, and that's just the average. That's not to say like people are bad coaches. So that's why it happens. That's just how it goes. Like you gain clients, you lose clients. Um, I do some, uh, one-on-one I'm picky about that because that takes a lot more time on my end. So it's gotta be the right person. It's gotta be the right situation. I gotta know that they're going to be worth it for me Mm -hmm. and that it's going to be a good fit. Um, I've got like an intro program called foundations. That's like an eight week course that kind of is my onboarding program that I bring everybody into. Like, here's the basics of everything that I believe in nutrition and recovery and breath work and training and goal setting and all of this stuff. We, we go over all of this in this eight week program. And then you're kind of graduating into all of the other options that are available. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everything in the training is, is derived from that minimalist approach. Like everything I program can be done with like one or two kettlebells, if that's all you have. And so the scalability of it is really nice, especially I get a lot of guys that are like uh, traveling for their job all the time. And so basically like working out in hotel gyms, yep. like there's nothing here except for a few heavy dumbbells. I'm like, perfect. That's all you need. Right. right. And so it's more of like that, that concept of minimum effective dose. I really like that because, um, for the past four months, like this whole second half of the year, I was doing the opposite. Now mm. it, during 2020, during lockdown, I lost 40 pounds in six months and I got in the best shape Amazing. of my life. Yeah. It was life-changing. And all I did, all I did with that was uh, I would go for a walk every evening for about 45 minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. And then my workouts, because it was locked down, I just moved into this apartment and all the gyms were closed. And this was the time when people were like, here's how to make your own dumbbells using concrete from Home Depot. <laughs> right. right. Like I was like, that, that was, that was where everyone, what right. A crazy couple of months, by the way. Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But like to see the, to see the ingenuity, like I made, yes. I, like, it's like, oh, you actually can make 25, <laughs> right. 40 pound dumbbells out of concrete. Like sweet. Right. I considered yep. doing it, but all I was doing was like yoga. Right. And I had some TRX straps that I would, you know, plug into my door and I would do yep. pull-ups Right. And then, and then occasionally I would do like agility drills in a park, you know, like sprints and stuff like that. And that was it. And I did that for six months before the gyms even opened in like July, like July, I started going to my boxing gym. They had been open like speakeasy style the whole time, but I just, I didn't know because I just moved I love it. And it's like, and I did so little and I had such incredible progress. Now, like, obviously I didn't look like the rock or anything like that, but I still looked better than I ever had in my entire life. And then since then, you know, since then I've been working, I've been traveling a lot and I've gotten away from that. So this, some, this, this fall, I wanted to get in shape again. And I signed on with someone and, and his response was do more. So I'm like, okay, I'll try and do everything. 
like 3,500 calories, like super high intensity, you know, cart conditioning workouts and weights and stuff. And like, it took me less than two months and I just, I I burned myself out. And I did that. I've done that that toast. I did that over and over again from September through, um, through December. Now this was also when my podcast and my coaching and all the other things going on, like my business exploded as well. So I was trying to lead essentially two lives at once. I wasn't sleeping. And you know, what I discovered is like, why I'm working my, I'm working my ass off everything that I'm doing. Why am I gaining weight in the wrong way? And it was because like the, when I really learned the importance of like, you know, cortisol and all this different stuff, stress levels and probably (sighs) crappy sleep and everything else that goes with that. Yeah. So you're talking about doing less and minimal minimalism and minimal, minimal effective dose. And it's like, that's the thing that I finally gotten my way back to. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Can I just not kill myself over this, please? Right. Right. Like, can I just care for myself in an important way? Well, and I think a lot of people really get confused around training because of that more is better kind of idea that's really popular. Right? And it does like work if this for is, some guys. It does right. right. Increase volume, increase intensity, depending on where you are and what you need out of training and yeah. if you, and your capacity to handle it. Like I know guys that are just the same, right? But yeah. there's this, like you, you got to know A, yourself. And if you don't know yourself, you need to have somebody who can see those things in you. Right. right. Like, like as a coach who knows, like this isn't working. Like there, I have this, uh, I had this sort of like, I can't remember which, which general it was in revolution where like, I, I need to see the whites of your eyes every day. So I know yeah. like if you're tanked and you didn't sleep and we have 90% two two rep max deadlifts today, followed by a brutal conditioning session. Like we're not doing that. If, right. If you walk in and I can tell, you know, you, maybe you, broke up with your girlfriend, you got fired, or you just slept like crap and your, your whole nervous system is shot. You're like, that's going to do the opposite of help you right now. Yeah. You know? And a lot of people are just like, this is what the program says. So I just have to do this no matter what. And there is a level of working through stuff. Yeah. Like I just need to get this done type of thing. There's, there's actually very good benefit to that. Yeah. Right. Because especially at the beginning, you, our bodies and our minds will purposefully lie to us, mm-hmm. right? It's like, ooh, I don't think I didn't sleep very good last night. I'm just going to take it easy today. And like, no, you walked in, you slept fine. Like, you know, I, it's you got to find this this balance, right? But I can tell when I see somebody, I'm like, you're not moving great. You're, I can tell just by looking at you, you're totally gassed. Like this could injure you today, mm-hmm. you know, and that approach. And so, what actually ends up helping people more is let's do a little bit less make it maybe a little bit more intense for maybe 40 minutes, but let's increase your non-exercise activity throughout the day. Like, let's just walk more, Mm -hmm. like go for three or four, 10 to 15 minute walks throughout your day. Stand up when you are working. Like if you're taking a work call, stand up and walk. Like, I mean, like just the act of moving around and being active outside of training does so much more for people's health than adding 40 minutes to a gym session where I'm trying to kill myself. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent, a thousand percent. And I, and the thing for me is like the one thing no one has ever accused me of is doing too little. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's not something. Totally. Right. And so, so for me, it, it, because I, it's, it's always like 11 or nothing. Right. And, <laughs> right. and, and, and that's a really, now there are some people who, who, you know, who needs to be motivated into action. That's not what I struggle with. What I struggle with is doing too much and driving myself into the ground and just yeah. be like, just work harder, Will. So it's just on the other side, right? Yeah. And so, and, and that, that, that's the ditch on the other side. 
that's the ditch on the other side of the road. Like it is possible. And the thing is, as I had actually proven to myself previously, like you can do less and succeed if you're patient with it instead of trying to do it like all overnight. And I think these, these are the traps that the fitness world kind of, kind of flings men in. Like no one cares, you know, work harder on the other side which is, which is one ditch. And on the other is like, no, you're perfect as you are. Right. right. <laughs> it's like, well, right. yeah, no, neither of those, neither of those are true. I'm going to do it this year. This is this year I'm going on like a crusade against no one cares work harder. Like that, that whole thing is going to crumble by the end of the year. If I have anything to say about it. It's, it's such a, well, it's catchy for well, sure. Yeah. Right. And that's why it works. But you look at the guys who say it, and they are the exception to the exception. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah that yeah. does not, that's not applicable yeah. to anyone. You are not Cam Haynes. Like Cam no. Haynes says like, you're not Cam Haynes. No. And he's not even Cam Haynes. Like I don't like no disrespect to him. I don't know him, but like when it comes to these influencers, all you know is that what goes into and comes through this little screen. You have you know what they want you to know. Exactly. Well, like Liver <laughs> yeah. King. Liver King is a great example. Yeah. You got to know exactly what he wanted you to know. Did you know anything about, else about him? No. And then you found out. It's like, that's a whole thing. And I can't say I'm entirely surprised by that. But I will say this. The guy with the plastic abs <laughs> does grow I, 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 Yeah. And, and it's pretty, the whole thing since all of that, I, I've, been watching and just not saying anything because I just want to see how it plays out. Yeah. You know, and he, he's clearly in need of like deep prayer price, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, but I will say this prior to him becoming prior to him, even getting on Instagram because Mm. he didn't get on Instagram until August of last year. Mm. I had been using ancestral supplements for four or five years. Okay. And, and I, I really enjoyed them. And so I was doing it before anybody even knew who a liver King was mm-hmm. right. Every time I ever had an, like a question about the products, cause I would recommend them to clients. I would email and Brian was who would email me back every mm-hmm. time. And every time he did, he was always incredibly gracious with his information. He would like, he actually gave me his phone number. He said, please call. If you ever need questions about any of this, I want to make every possible instance of our, mm-hmm. your purchase with us. like a good experience. Cause I really believe in all this. So like I know from interacting him, with him prior to him becoming the pro wrestling character, mm. like I know that he's a good businessman clearly, but he actually believes and cares in what he's doing. I think he just got caught up in becoming a 2 million follower thing in, in 12 months. Yeah. And he bought into this character where it's kind of like the, this is what I believe happened anyways. It's like he, he put on this character and it's kind of like the method actor mm-hmm. that can't get out of it. Like he just yeah. became liver King at that point. Yeah. Like he wasn't Brian anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of got too much for him. And it kind of, you know, once the one lie started, it became really easy to just keep doing it. And then just all compounded until it all came crumbling down. It's just really sad because every prior experience I had with him, and I've told this story once before. Um, but when my wife became pregnant with our most recent, which was just over a year ago. So he'd only been on Instagram for like a month or two. Um, I, you know, I had good correspondence with him. I emailed him like, Hey, uh, my wife is pregnant. You know, I know that there's benefits to having more vitamin A through stuff like this. Like, you know, I know this isn't medical advice, but maybe do you have any recommendations that we can look at? And we hadn't told anybody yet that she was pregnant. 
And he emailed back and he goes, uh, first of all, I'm so honored that you told me that she's pregnant. He like lifts this whole recommendation. He's like, please take all of these to your midwife or your doctor, show them this. If they have any input, like this is what I would say, but they're the ultimate authority on this for what, and you guys are the ultimate authority on this. And then the coolest part, like, and this is what led me to having more grace for him during all of this. Mm. The coolest part was like a month later after this original email exchange. Out of nowhere, he emails me and he says, hey, how's Molly doing? And he's like, how is, he's like, I know you guys got some of this stuff a few weeks ago. I just wanted to check in and see how she's feeling. Have you guys used any of this? Can I help you out with anything, make anything better for your experience? Like, that's pretty cool. And that bought some capital with me throughout this whole thing. And so I just, I think he was just lost, you know, things got on top of him and he's just a lost soul and lost individual. And it's really sad because I, I got to see some of him before this. And so it kind of like, you know, I'm coming from it from a little different perspective. I was a little more lenient at first. So I'm glad that the apology tour happened because I believe that he maybe is actually sorry about all of this. Mm -hmm. At least that's my hope based on my previous interaction, you know, but it's, yeah, I didn't mean to go on a whole liver King tangent, but I just, that was uh, it was always a really cool thing that I like to tell that story. Cause I'm like, he's still a guy, you know, he's still a, a, a guy who's a husband and a father, you know? Yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing that because it's really easy. I, I never followed the liver King. I, I you know, I, I heard about him after he became the liver King and, you know, started talking about eating liver mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm, I'm generally skeptical <laughs> yeah. of, of any, um, any miracle cure supplement claims like if you just eat liver, if you just eat cow liver, this is all going to be you. It's like, <laughs> you know, like right. people would say that about raw milk and I went to sprouts and I bought some raw milk and I went to the gym and I had a really intense workout and I drank some raw milk right out of the, right out of the jug. And I expected like lasers <laughs> to come out of my eyes. Like, oh, I'm unstoppable. Right? Where are my, where are my veins? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And nothing happened. Like I didn't notice any appreciable difference, right. you know? And that's, this is not a thing about raw versus pasteurized milk. It's just this idea that if you tie, right. you know, whoever you are, if you tie your identity to a supplement or a substance or something independent, some chemical, it's like, yeah, like congratulations, you sun your balls. Like they didn't make you the man that you are, right? And there's this no, there's this idea that people get really <laughs> right. Caught, right? They get really caught up in these bro ESO health fitness fads, right? Or 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 you know supplements or techniques or or whatever. It's like stop, <laughs> stop. That's not it. That's definitely yeah. not it. And and so I yeah. only found out about him through that. So there's I was some just very like, simple. There's some very simple things. Yes, that's right. And so I just heard about him once he had already become the character. And I was like, well, he's just another character. But to your point, right. like in many cases, there are real human beings, you know, behind these characters that are played in the public sphere. Another example is, is Andrew Tate. Now, I don't know Andrew Tate. I don't like a lot of what he says. I think a lot, a lot of it is yeah. deeply, dangerously misguided, right? And when we can talk about all that separately. But I do know a lot of men who do know him personally, and they're like, look, he's nothing like the character he plays on TV, at least not with them, at least not with them, right? And so I don't know whether that's true or not, but like he is a human being, you know what I mean? Like he's not, he's, he, Liver King and pick him, you know, Jordan Peterson, Jocko Willink, Joe Rogan, doesn't matter, you name them, right? They, they play these characters on the world media stage, but behind the world media, behind the stage, they're still people. Right. And it is really easy to lose sight of that, you know, in the combat that in the, in the, 
ideological combat, I think, that we see on TV. And this isn't, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm an apologist for, for any of them about anything, except to say that, you know, we're all here on earth trying to, trying to figure this thing out. And some of us are blessed and cursed with this idea of a spotlight and people listening to us and yeah. making money off of our identity. And we get really confused. Like if this identity makes me a lot of money, is that who I am? What, you know, versus the man that I actually am right. doesn't make me so much money. But when I put on the Superman costume, suddenly people throw money at me. Maybe I should be him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the man. It bums me out because I've always struggled with that concept of I, I need to be the same everywhere. Right. Like, cause that's what, <laughs> yeah. that would be what being authentic is. Right. Yeah. Like that's how I would always interpret that. Like yeah. I can't be this dude over here and this guy over here and you don't know which one's real. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just me being an actor. And yeah. I, that's always just a, like a, a weird paradox that I, that I've struggled with. And, a lot of it has led to me holding, not holding back, but, and not even being careful, but like when I go to share stuff or, or host a podcast or, or, or write an article or whatever it is, I try to make it a point to like, I can't go full like character here, right? Like mm-hmm. I, and I'm not one that's even built up a character to have that's separate from myself, but right. I don't want there to be the appearance of one. Like I want to, and that's a, 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 you know, just a writing practice in general, like write how you speak, mm-hmm. right? I don't want somebody to read what I've written and be like that. This sounds like somebody else wrote this. I, this doesn't sound like how he talks. I've listened mm-hmm. to him on a podcast. He doesn't talk like this, you know? And so that <laughs> right. just from a writing practice has been something very helpful for me is like, I, when I go down to write something, it's like, I'm going to say it. I want to hear myself say it out loud. And if it sounds like me, then I'm like, oh, okay. And then, you know, you just for grammatical, whatever is because I'm not sure. the best speaker, but it's, it's one of those things where I'm very cognizant of not being two people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really, that's a, that's a really uh, great way of putting it. Uh, and, and I reacted when you said that because it spoke to some of my experience because, you know, there, mm-hmm. there have been um, a couple moments over the past few months in particular where, where people have met me and, and they know me through the podcast, right? Oh, you're the Renaissance of men guy. And they have a lot of admiration for, for mm-hmm. what I do. And I can feel instantly in that, that there's this kind of projection that goes up with about who they think I am, right? Because they don't, they don't know me. They just know mm-hmm. me through, right? And so in that moment, I have to, in fact, this happened at church. Like I was just walked into church and went to sat mm-hmm. down, sit down and, and the guy sitting in front of me with his family, wife and kids say, aren't you, the, aren't you the guy from the Renaissance of men? And in that moment, a whole bunch of thoughts ran through my mind all at the same time. Like, no, I'm just a guy at church, but then like, that's how am I going to do that? So he, right. he wants to see me in a particular way. Am I going to try and am I going to honor that and allow him to see me in a particular way? Or am I going to, or, or am I going to, like, I'm not thinking this, this slowly, you know, or am I going to try and negotiate? It's like, okay, let him, let him be admiring. And that was a thing for me to learn to sure. accept the admiration and also to accept that like, there's me as who I am when I turn off the podcast and I go about my business. And then there's the um, character. Did I, did I lose you? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Sorry about that, man. I think whatever problem I was having with the interface just petered out everything. So I had to, I, I switched over to this so we can just keep rolling. Oh, no problem. Okay. So okay. Anyway, I, was just, I was just saying that in that, um, in that moment, um, you know, I had to decide whether I was going to be um, just Will 
or Will Spencer, right. the host of the Renaissance of Men podcast. <laughs> right. And but that's the thing. I was like, it's a very strange. It's a very strange thing, and it's both. You know, it's like because I'm not going to spend. I'm going to spend 30 minutes telling you who I am to take away your. You know, to take away your impressions of me. Like that's not yeah. going to. That's not going to work. So I had to be comfortable with the fact that people see me in a certain way. Like mm. that's my own. That's my own growth because. You know, it, it, it empowers people in this way to, to be able to give admiration and respect. And that's a whole, su- that's a whole subject. Well, and even from like a coaching perspective, yeah, right. The, the idea that people would come up to me and be like, Hey, you're, you're, aren't you a coach? I'm like, well, I coach. Like I've always, I, I've, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's what I do. That's not who I am. Right. right. Like it's, I'm still just a guy. I just, this is where my expertise and my knowledge is. is so I, I do this as a thing, but I don't, pe- people will treat me like that's the only thing that I do. So every interaction is based around fitnessy stuff. I'm like, look, I, I don't, and I don't say this, you know, to their faces or anything like that, but in my head, I'm like, this is great. I don't really care about what you told me about your workout from today. I don't, I've met you for two minutes. Right. You, know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I have other things in my life than the gym, you know, and it's just, a, it's my occupation. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I'm always even aware of saying I am a coach because I just, I don't want to get that identity tied into it where now that's where all filters come through fitness when we have conversations, right? Yes. And it's kind of been the same with the podcast, even though that allows me a little bit more because it's always more conversational or I'm usually talking to somebody like, you know, like we are. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like, Hey, I'm just, I'm just a guy who likes to do these things. And it's such a, it's, it was a, a struggle at first because of everything that we talked about where I, I don't want to put on a face and be like, okay, now I'm, now I'm coach. I get my coach hat on <laughs> coach face. Yeah. Everything we're talking about, I got to use my coach voice like I'm projecting to the back of the class and they need to hear me. <laughs> now right? I am the nomad like, king. <laughs> nomad king, right? Um, but it's it's something that I've always tried to work on and it's it has a ton to do for me personally from the fact that that's not where ever where my identity is or has been. Yeah. Right? My identity is in Jesus. Mm. Right. And so when like if if the coaching thing fell through, if the podcast was gone, my business tanks, like those were all just things that's that wasn't so I'm not losing my identity if those things go away. Mm-hmm. Right. But I'm never losing my identity over here in Jesus. Yeah. Right. For eternity. And so I I've seen that a lot with guys that I'm, <clears throat> you know, guys that I'm close friends with who were extremely high level athletes, like on the world level. Right. And, and when they're done, they're like, dude, this is all I've known for 25 years of my life. I, who am I, Mm -hmm. you know, like this, this was who I was. And, uh, that part of it was always, was always at the front of my mind growing up in athletics. Cause I know I'm, you know, even if my wildest dreams came true on the athletic level, I wasn't, before I was 40, it was going to be over forever, you know, like, and then there's after that, there's still 40, 50 years of my life. Like, how can I, how can I attach my whole self to this thing that I know, even at the best circumstance will be done before I'm 40 years old? Yeah. You know, 
And yeah. so, even, and I knew because I wasn't some crazy, I was the most mediocre of college athletes. Right. Uh, and so I knew like on my, the day of my last track meet as a senior in May of that year, like my competitive athletic career is over if, unless I want to do, which, you know, that's actually kind of another thing. Cause I started taking up jujitsu. So there's like, there's some Avenue for competitiveness sure. at least there, but that previous version of me, what well, I knew was ending on a, on a date. Like I had the date wow. and that's kind of a crazy thing to have when you're like, after this day, like I'm done. This is this part of my life is gone forever, and so I can't be attached to it in this way. I'm 22. Like, what? what I'm going to be sad for 60 years and be the guy who's like, well, back when I was an athlete or whatever. You know what I mean? And yeah. like, I'm not going to be that. And so, from the time I was even in my early teens, like, I had to have this concept of this is not who I am. These are just things I like to do that I happen to be decent at. And they took me to some places and helped me pay for school a little bit. But like, that's it. You know, I'm, it's just a thing that I did. The world says masculinity is toxic. Everything the world says is backwards. That means masculinity is medicine. Everything the world tries to shame out of you is what you need to live a healthy, fulfilled, virtuous life as a man. But I said shame out of you. Everything you need is already within you. Because you can't get masculinity from the outside. You can't buy it in a PDF or watch it in a YouTube video. That's what the men who lead cults of personality sell you. Keep watching my content, they seem to say, and you can be a man like me. It doesn't work that way. Virtues cannot be purchased. They must be cultivated. To become a virtuous man takes dedication and effort, guidance and feedback, purpose and direction. No one can give you those things but you. Our fathers are supposed to train us in virtue, our churches and culture too. But for those men who grow up with absent, abusive, or distant fathers, what then? For men who grow up in feminized churches, the situation gets worse. And don't get me started on culture. It can all seem hopeless, but it isn't. The Renaissance of Men is about the worldwide movement to rebirth masculinity for a declining age. That's what everything I do is about, because that is my story, and it can be your story too. I'm thrilled to announce my 12-week Renaissance mentorship, your chance to make all the values of the Renaissance real in your life, with guidance from a man who's lived it, and the wisdom of dozens of conversations with other men who have too. But here's what makes this mentorship different from the other coaches, courses, and programs available on the internet. I don't want you to become a carbon copy of me. I want you to become the best version of you, expressing all the gifts that you've been blessed with. That takes conversation, care, listening, and investment. Everything you've heard on this podcast. And that is why it's a mentorship. To learn more and see my testimonials, visit renofmen.com slash mentorship. There you'll find much more information than I can give in this brief ad. I'm very proud of this program. It represents everything I want to see in the world, and I believe in it with my whole heart because it works. I'm so confident in it that it comes with my personal guarantee. In 12 weeks, we will permanently change the direction of your life as a man or I will work with you until we do. 
And for a limited time, until the end of January, use the code INTRO to get 15% off the program. As you've heard the man with the deep voice say many times before, this is the renaissance of men. You are the renaissance. That's a that's a great observation. Like all the different places that men that men will place their identity other than Jesus, right? I place my yeah. identity into my car, or I place my identity into my physique, or I place my identity into my job, or into yeah. my athletic career, or whatever. And it's like, well, then who are you when that goes away? Some men place yeah. their identity into being fathers, right? Yeah. And, and then when their children grow up and leave, it's like, well, who who am I? Yeah. It's like none of these will ultimately stick around. But if you place your identity in Jesus and you give it to him, he gives it back to you. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, it's just not exactly. yours anymore in the same way, right? Yeah. So that, I mean, so, okay. So, so when your athletic career ended on that date, um, I, did you grow up in the faith or is this something that you found later? Like, did your faith help you through that moment or like, take, let's go into that moment. Sure. Let's talk about that moment. Yep. So at that, so to answer the the second question first, I'll Tarantino this. We'll start at the. We'll start in a different part of the story. Um, That's gold watch. (laughs) So uh, I grew up um, going. I was like the Christmas Easter church service. Uh huh. Sure. Right. Um, We went to the church that my dad had attended his entire childhood uh, in our in our town. My my grandparents went every single Sunday my entire life. You know, and so, but we would go a couple times a year and then Christmas and Easter and stuff. It wasn't very regular. Um, it wasn't until I was in, I believe, sixth or seventh grade when uh, it was when my grandmother passed away that we became, and, and it really it changed for my mom. Mm. Uh, that was when she became a true believer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in the, in the midst of that. And so that was when it really started for me. I, and then I was, uh, so I was 11 or 12. I was, um, I was baptized when I was 13. And, you know, from there, you know, all through middle school and high school, we attended church every Sunday. Uh, it was a, you know, it was a local Presbyterian church, um, which is a funny thing because after college, I went kind of through several different iterations of styles of churches. Mm-hmm. And then in the last handful of months have circled back around and we now attend a small local traditional Presbyterian church and, uh, it's very home for me. Right. Cause that's where like mm-hmm. I, I spent seven years of my life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so to bring it back to the, that date of my final track meet, like there was, it was more, and, and it was more the sadness because it was the relationships I knew that were going to be changed. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to see my friends every day because we graduate or we actually had graduated and then had our last track meet. So we had already graduated. So like some of them, that was the last day I, I, I have seen them. Like I, there's some of them I haven't seen since that day. So there's like, there was this kind of natural sadness where like, yeah, this part of my life is over. And that's sad because it was really great. I miss my coach. Uh, one of, you know, my two track coaches, two of the most influential men in my life. And uh, so there was like a, a sadness of I'm moving away. I'm leaving the state. I'm not going to see you guys. Like there's that kind of thing. Right. Um, but as far as in my head thinking, what am I going to do? Like, who, what am I going to be? It was like, I don't know, but I'm fine. <laughs> like, you know, I didn't have really any idea of what I was going to do career wise yet. Uh, back at the time I went to college 
strictly for broadcast radio stuff. Like that mm. was what I had my internships in. I had like internships at the ESPN affiliate in Helena, Montana, which is where I went to college. And then I had another one when I came back home the summer after I graduated. I had a job lined up in the town that we moved to up here in the Boise area to work at a, like a rock radio station as an, as a, like a, you know, just a tech guy for a while, like the entry level job. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was only part-time and I needed a full-time gig. And that's when I picked up the trainer job. And then that kind of just sparked its own thing. Like I'd always been lifting weights and training and loved learning about that stuff. And I had a bunch of knowledge there, but it wasn't something I'd ever thought of as a career. Mm-hmm. And so, but on that day of my last meet, I'm like, you know, this is kind of fun. I'm sad that I'm going to miss my friends, but like, I'm fine. Like mm-hmm. the, the fact that I'm done with this is a bummer because there's that camaraderie aspect that we talked about, but like there's stuff I got to do. And mm-hmm. I know that I'm going to propose to this, to this girl in six months, I got to get some stuff lined up, you know? And so, uh, there was that part of it. So I was fine and I felt good. It, and there was for me anyways, there wasn't this sense of loss, like, mm-hmm. Oh, that that's a whole different version of me. I don't know who that guy is or who I am now. I'm like, I'm still me. I'm like, I just got to find something else to do. You know? right. <laughs> yeah. We are getting a little bit of that wrestling from the microphone, by the way, in the, in the glorious spirit of yours. I'll hold it up right here. It's perfect. It's very intimate now. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, no, that, that's, that's a very different position than what a lot of men come from if they don't know who they are because then they go through a major, they go through a major life shift. Mm. They don't know where to properly place their identity. And, and, and it becomes not a question of like, what do I do? And more a question of like, who am I? Yeah. Right. Which is a very, I mean, that for some men that can get to like crisis, that can get to crisis level, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't know how to swim your versus if if you actually have a solid place to root your identity in an eternal transcendent place, Yes. You know, then, then you, then you, then you don't have to answer the question of who am I? Yep. It's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm redeemed in Christ. I'm, it's just a question of figuring out what I'm going to do, which is <laughs> yeah. like, there are a thousand different things to do. Exactly. Like right, right now. Where am I going to be used? You know, like yeah. that's kind of, or like what wh- it was. And that was what was exciting. Cause like I had these different options and I'm like, I don't know. Like mm-hmm. there wasn't one thing. I've, I wanted to be when I grew up that like, I was always like, I'm going to, I'm going to, cause I have friends that are like, from the minute we were 10 years old, they're like, I'm gonna be a doctor. And they are because mm-hmm. everything in their life, they work towards being, uh, going into that profession. And that's a very mm-hmm. specific profession. You know what I mean? And so like, it takes a lot of time and money and yeah. there wasn't anything like that for me. Like I was like, the radio sounds cool. I love sports radio. I still listen to sports radio. I'm like, mm-hmm. how fun would it be to like, be able to watch sports and then talk about it with my friends for a living, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that was like kind of the the instigation into that. But then when I got into the gym, I'm like, man, this is fun. Like I get a train, I get a, I get a, essentially get paid to work out, but then I also help see people through these awesome transformations and like help them change their lives. And like, mm-hmm. and that was where it kind of is like, there's something here. And that's yeah. why I ended up sticking it around. And in the training world, especially when you start out in a big box gym, there's such high turnover because it's just a business that isn't conducive to a career because mm-hmm. of the, the high turnover. Like trainers are in and out of there. We had probably, you know, I was there 18 months in my first place and I was probably there the second longest of anybody. Yeah. And, you know, oh. and so like I had to understand like I'm going to have to do this on my own if I'm going to make a career out of this you know? And so, but that was part of the excitement. I'm like, this is a new adventure for me. This is something that 
I'm excited about doing. I have no idea what I'm going to do, but like, mm-hmm. Jesus, tell me where to go. You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. help me open some doors, help introduce me to some people. Like, I'll I'll follow. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and I can I can relate to being in that place in my own way because I you know I traveled for many years and then I came back to um, I came back to the United States and then the COVID lockdowns hit and I'm here in this apartment and I realized that what I had just experienced was I had just did the thing that I had spent 20 years dreaming about. Mm, I had done it. I had completed it. I had finished it. And now I come back into, it's really non-life. I move into this apartment and the world shuts down. And so there was a, there was a, I wouldn't say that it reached a crisis level, but there was a moment of grief of like, well, like, what do I, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, everything. Was it kind of like a now what kind of scenario? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very much. And and there are lots of different, there were lots of different um, options on the table, being the CEO of a startup, writing a book, stuff like that. I did not expect to be doing what I'm doing now. That was definitely not something that I had in mind, <laughs> right. but I, but I had, but I, at least I had the assurance knowing of like, God will put me to work somehow. I wasn't a Christian right. at the time, but I did have a sense of like, okay, I spent all this time acquiring all this, these skills and this expertise and this knowledge and this wisdom. I'm fundamentally unchanged. In some in some important ways as a being as a man, and you know that will that I, a use will be found for me, or God will find a use for me. One of those two things right. in there, right? And, yes. and but I, but I had that. But there is this moment in many men's lives, I think, where they go through those those transitions, those life transitions of I'm no longer an athlete, right? Or I'm no longer a college student, or or man, imagine being a doctor right now and having your whole identity built on top of your, you know, the two letters MDF your name, and then seeing over the past two years, the total incrimination of your entire industry, you know, right. Like, like talk about threatening to your identity. Yeah. Right. And how, like, I, I don't know of a way for men to navigate these transitions without Christ. I, I don't think that yeah. there is one. And I, and I completely agree. And from a, 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 if we're talking about like a practical, this is how I have always thought about it, right? From a, a practical understanding of why these things are temporal. Yep. To a sense, right? Like you've thought that you were an athlete, right? But think about all of the skills, all of the whatever it took for you to be that. Mm-hmm. And that was the reason you were the athlete. All these traits that you developed because of this thing that you thought this was the reason why, it's actually mm-hmm. so you could become a very specific person for whatever's coming next. Mm, yes. You know what I mean? Like you were essentially, uh, put, because it's a funny saying and I've, you know, maybe I mean it literally, like, I don't think Jesus cares about football at all. You know what I mean? It's high on his list of priorities. (laughs) You know what I mean? I had to guess. (laughs) Don't need to speak for him, but. (laughs) (laughs) But what he does care about, I believe, is like who, like what you developed into because you played football your whole life. Like what kind of man, the the skills that are transferable to all the things that he's actually going to use you for. Mm-hmm. after football's over right so and it's not even like a sports thing like whatever industry you thought you were in like you learned something that is going to be used later on and you've come to find out later on it was that was why i did this thing before mm-hmm. it was so i could learn this skill or learn how to do this or meet this person and is like that was the the doors opening uh for you you know what i'm saying yeah yeah and and um 
there, there's an interesting idea that's attached to that. Like if, if the things that are happening in the present are setting us up for things that are supposed to happen in the future, that mm. means there's a plan, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and right. so <laughs> if, there's a, if there's a plan, then there has to be a planner, Right. <laughs> Somebody had to make the plan. <laughs> Somebody had to make the plan or, well, yeah. And then there really is no way around that because right. once when you get to the point where someone has to make the plan, because I think people who are into like karma and stuff like that say, well, it's all one and the story has already been written and we're just, you know, going through it like puppets. So there's no free will. I can get into mm-hmm. all that, but like, it's kind of mm-hmm. hard. I don't know that anyone can, can look at their life honestly and say that, wow, I'm really glad that that thing that that thing in the past happened because it could set that up, but that's just a coincidence or, or whatever. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? You can't, man, how lucky has that. was that? <laughs> yeah. How, how fortunate was that, that I did the exact thing that I needed to do to be able to set exact up this thing. Right that I really, exactly. It's amazing. Right. But people will go to all kinds of mental gymnastics length to, a, to, a, to avoid that. And, yep. but, but I think part of that is because the idea of, of, um, that there being a plan for our lives, um, that's kind of scary, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like where did that, like the notion of, of there being, if there's a plan for my life, but then there's a plan for your life and there's a plan for all life. So it's a, I mean, it, it gets out of, uh, it gets out of pocket real quick. Yeah, it does. And I, I find comfort in that. I mean, I guess that's because of who yeah. I know put the plan together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's, there's a little bit of that. Like if you're uncertain of where the plan came from, then I can understand why you would be a little apprehensive, you know, yeah. but I'm, I'm pretty confident in the planner. So the plan, yeah. you know, I'll fall, you know, it's like put, put punching in the, the Google maps. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, the technology is <laughs> like, Google's not going to purposefully lead me the opposite direction. You know what I mean? Yes. Like take me yes. to a place I'm not going to go. Like yeah. we trust that technology to get us where we're going. We <laughs> so it's like, it's because you trust the technology. I trust the person who, who I trust who programmed everything. Well, I trust it's not just, it's not just that even it's, it's, I trust my relationship with the person who programmed Mm. everything. Like I, I trust that, that we're in reconciliation with each other. And it's like, Mm -hmm. whatever that, whatever the plan is, whatever, you know, side streets I end up going down that if I'm in reconciliation with the planner and there's a, there's a love relationship between the two of us, then that must be where I, where I need to go. And that brings me a sense of comfort and peace versus if I don't trust the planner or we're not in reconciliation, I got no idea. <laughs> I got, I got no, I, or at least I don't have my own. I, I do trust that is ultimately for our benefit, right. but I, but like, but I'm not, I'm not participating that I'm just kind of brought along for the ride. And yeah. I think a lot of men don't like that idea. I'm in control of my life. Yeah. Well, and it's because all of the motivational, everything that, we're told is like, you control your destiny. Like you decide how to, you know, all this it's, and it's intended to be motivational stuff to get action accomplished. Right. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. that plays a part in how you view the rest of the world. And it's like, if you believe that you control everything when you can't like, then what? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, if it, then the logical conclusion to that is, you force yourself into a position where you do control everything or at least as much as possible. And Mm -hmm. if you take that, I mean, this is Nietzscheanism, right? This is to its logical conclusion, like just the pursuit of power. And the thing is men, whether or not a man actually ever gets there to that level of power, he still feels a compulsion 
to exert power mm. over everything and everyone in his immediate environment, right? And this is where you get, you know, the tyrannical kind of husband and the domineering friend where it's like he just can't simply trust that other people have their own. He must be in control of everything around him out of the right. naked pursuit of, of power. And lots of men do, lots of men do that. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the point where it's like, it's not enough that I have $100 million. I need $500 million. I need a billion. I need to be in the room with the guys making the decisions mm-hmm. so that I can have control. And it's like, well, then, you know, and it's you also, say the wrong thing. It, well, it's also like, what is it going to require of me to get to that? And yes. most of the time, it's not great stuff. And they right. will look right past that because of the, the end destination, right? right. Like, whatever, man, whatever I got to do. And that's like the approach. And, yeah, you know, souls, yeah, no, I, souls, I mean, li- from a literal sense, like souls be damned in the process. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah. Oh, that's the thing. You, in the naked pursuit of power, you just become a slave, right? Like, oh, I'm now I'm in the room with all the guys making all the decisions, but I sold my soul to get here. Right. And so now you're just, you're a slave to the deal that you made. You have no power at all. Zero. Like maybe from the perspective of the world watching you on TV or on their smartphones, you seem powerful, but what compromises did you make to get there with who? And who knows the compromise that you made and has a string that they can use to tug on you whenever you do? Like, are you really powerful if someone's tugging your strings? (laughs) Right. It's a big illusion. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is the, this is the trap that I think many men who appear to be free fall into CEOs, um, you know, actors, actresses, all these, you know, influencers, you know, look, I am the master of the universe. It's like, are, are you really? <laughs> right. <laughs> not even the master of your own body. <laughs> That's right. 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 You're not even the master of your own schedule. Right. You know? Right. So, I mean, it's, it's funny that men get a, they get a piece of this. They get a, they get a taste of this and hopefully flip around to actually knowing that just to actually serve, to serve righteousness, you're going to serve somebody better to serve righteousness. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we're, we're told we're either a slave to Christ or a slave to sin. Bingo. One or the other. Yeah. One or the other. <laughs> there's, or the no, other. there's no third option. <laughs> no, no, no. You're going to, you're going to serve. Well, even if you're not going to serve God, you're going to serve. The only other option is to serve yourself. Right, and which that's is a just, false god. Can, exactly, exactly. The the falsest, the falsest of all gods. The falsest. <laughs> yeah, it's like yourself is is the worst is the worst god to serve. Petulant <laughs> and spoiled and bratty and inc- like can't weak. do anything. <laughs> cannot cannot do anything. Can't create anything. You know, like it's just can't even create a universe. Like it's it's. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we're in the, now we're in the whole realm of, of, of the influencer game again, where it's like this notion that like this, you know, that you are this self-contained, self-made, you know, self-instantiated creature who is in control of everything. And it's seductive. It's seductive for men. And it's always wrong. <laughs> it's always wrong. <laughs> it's never not been correct. <laughs> yes or never, never been correct never been correct. never yeah, been correct no. never not been wrong <laughs> no but but this but ross this time this we have time. science <laughs> this time we have science and science says right capital right. s science capital s science yeah yeah, yeah. well i mean the, I, I this makes me think of what we started talking about at the very beginning where 
um, boys, when they're six years old, start hunting and they learn that they can only accomplish in collectively, right? That they can only, they can Mm. only achieve in teams as opposed to launched as individuals onto this individualized kind Mm. of sphere. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and when you learn in those environments, like hierarchy comes into place, like mm-hmm. not all, like in a group of boys, not all the boys are the same and not all of them, right. you know, in one of them is going to be a leader. Right. Yeah. And it's going to, and it's going to naturally set itself up. It always does. One of them, or maybe a couple of them are going to be the ones that take charge. And even among the couple, there's going to be one that's like the leader. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's going to mm-hmm. be the ones that follow and then going to be the ones at the bottom. Like that's just mm-hmm. how it is every time. And that naturally happens, especially when you're in close, close quarters or close environment with a consistent group of, you know, if it's boys that we're talking about at that age, or if it's men, like those things naturally happen because they're supposed to naturally happen. Mm-hmm. It's, there's supposed to be a hierarchy there. Mm-hmm. I think a lot about the Lord of the Rings, about how it's really clear, you know, in the fellowship of the ring that, there's a there's a hierarchy. Mm. Like Ar- Aragorn's the guy in charge. But what you what you don't see in the Lord of the Rings is you don't see anyone else trying to pretend that they're in charge. Right. Like Boromir doesn't want to be the guy in charge. He just wants the ring. Right. You know what I mean? Like yep. he's the guy who's he's the most subversive, but he's even hypnotized by the power of evil to defend the people of Gondor, right? So but there's no one, there's no power struggle there, mm-hmm. you know? And it, it sort of makes me think that this whole uh notion in the men's movement, manosphere, quote unquote about like every man's got to be alpha is the most ridiculous thing because right. a, that's not how we are. And some men don't want to be like, why do we all have to be and Mr. Not, King alpha? Not all of them can't like, it's not even a matter yes. of want. It's some yeah. just aren't like, that's not in their capacity and that doesn't make yeah. it bad. Right. Like right. there's, there's a, like somebody's always going to be the owner of a business and mm-hmm. there's always going to be the people that work for that guy. No, you know, like it, it, <laughs> we're all solopreneurs as much as everyone tries to yeah. want to get the, you know, everybody is an equal owner of a company or whatever it is, you know, like it's how, it's come, we're not, how come we're not making as much as the guy who put all his money into creating this thing and take on all the risk of it. Like I just show up for six and a half hours a day and kind of half-ass my work all day long. You know what I mean? How come I don't have the same income? But uh, there's that. And I was just thinking when you were bringing up the Lord of the Rings example, I think the reason that there wasn't any like struggle there is because they all knew like they didn't, there was, there was a bunch that didn't want to like believe it, but they're like, yeah, he's the one who's in charge here. (laughs) Yeah. But, but I, I think a lot about the example of the fellowship because, uh, and this is, um, this is a big part of, of my coaching is that I, I show men this and I say, it used to be that men understood and recognized that there are all different kinds of men mm. and that we all work together to achieve the goal. And that just because you're a leader doesn't mean that you are inherently better. Mm. Because if you look at the fellowship and you look at Aragorn and Gandalf and Legolas and Gimli and Merry and Pippin and Sam and Boromir, they're all very different men. And the, and the, none of them are looking at each other being like, that guy's not a man. Right. Right. Not even looking at Sam. Sam's a Sam. This isn't really pushed too much in the movies, but in the books, like there's a major class difference between Frodo and Sam. 
Like mm-hmm. Frodo's kind of not really an aristocrat, but a, a, you know a little bit, like as far as hobbits go. And Sam is a blue collar kind of worker, and that their friendship, the, the the class difference doesn't show up in the movie so much, but it's very present in the mm-hmm. books. But no one looks at Sam and, and says, "Oh, that guy's not a man," right? Or or even looks at Mary and Pippin, they grow up, or looks at Gandalf, so old man. Right. Like, there's none of that, <laughs> right. right? There's all this brotherhood between these different kinds of men, and it's completely sufficient that they not. That the, and in fact, Aragorn, the ostensible leader, is not even strong enough to carry the ring. The physically weakest member of the entire fellowship is the one who carries the ring, mm-hmm. the ring and the only one who can. Right. And and like everyone looks at the Lord of the Rings and every man loves the Lord of the Rings. We all cry at the charge of the Rohirrim like it's okay. It, it just <laughs> right. happens. Right. Right. It's allowed. It's known that men can cry during that. That's fine. <laughs> and yet in our everyday lives. You know, or, or in this masculinity space, not in everyday lives. Just this notion that like, no, if, if you're not Aragorn, you're not a man. Right. Ridicul- ridiculous. Right. Ridiculous. And you, I mean, and you brought up, because it was kind of weird for me with all of this stuff when we brought up Andrew Tate a little bit ago. Mm. Um, I must have been under some sort of rock. Like maybe, maybe two months ago was the first time I'd ever heard of him. Where's that rock? Can I climb under it? <laughs> like, I don't know where I was and how I didn't, but like right. I literally, uh, and, and, and the only reason I did was because I still have a couple of local clients and they're, when one of them is a 15 year old kid and oh, yeah. he knew. And so he was telling me, he's like, have you heard of this guy? And I'm like, no, I don't have a clue who you're talking about. And, <laughs> and so, but I, from what I've gathered in there, I mean, that is kind of what he does. Like everybody needs to be the boss. You know, like you're, you're the king, you're the whatever. And there's several of those guys that are very popular because that's mm-hmm. the message that everyone wants to hear is like, they like goes back. Like they want to be the ones in charge. Everyone yeah. wants to have control of themselves or, you know, control of others. And when there's guys out there that are pushing, everybody can be the king. Everybody can be the, own, like everybody can be the president. Everybody can be the owner. Everybody can do this. It's like, I mean, no, they can't. If everybody is, That's then right. nobody is. You know? That's right. Yeah. It's I call it a cult of personality. If yeah. you ever start interacting with a masculine content creator and his goal is almost exclusively to turn the people who listen to and consume his content into mini versions of himself, that's called a cult of personality. Yep. Right. And and there's a lot of that. Yep. There's a lot of and, and like and, 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 and I think a lot of men, and this gets back to the liver King and, and, and all that as well, like the, the decent guy that he was, and I, and I completely believe you. And that's amazing that you were able to ha- have that interaction with him that he got lost inside the creation of his own, of his own persona and tried to, you know, turn everyone into little versions of the little, little liver King more, more or less. And, and, and I think it's also happens a little bit to like, I love Jordan Peterson, but I think it also happens to him. Like people, yeah. you know, he doesn't want to be a cult of, I don't think he wants to do that, but I think he fights against that. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately I think it's really reflective of men's need for fathers. It's like to not get that. Like, I don't know who I am because my father never blessed me with becoming the man that I am. So I'm going to try and become like the most masculine guy I can spot. Right. It's this, it's this warped instinct, right? I will say this too in regards to Jordan Peterson because I for a long time believed that he didn't want that also, but then he literally made a bust of himself to sell on his website to people for Christmas. So I'm like, maybe oh, he heard. likes it quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe he's kind of bought into, you know, because I mean, what was it, six or seven years ago when he was just doing the college lecture circuit, essentially? Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
it was unbelievable. And he and he, what he was saying was exactly what needed to be said by by a lot of men who had never heard it in their lives, you know. And uh, yeah. but it's the same thing. Like I saw because it was a couple of weeks ago. Like I was like, this can't be real, right? Like he doesn't have a marble bust of himself as a like a thing you can buy on your website to put in your home. Like that's a little even for me. That's a little or even for him. I'm like that's a little out there. <laughs> Yeah, I have like a marble bust, like, you know, people carved marble busts of like Socrates and Plato and Cicero, like <laughs> right. out of respect, like right. they didn't do it themselves. And then sell you know them I mean? to everybody. <laughs> like, how, how, how big was the, how big was the bust? Was it, it's it like was the size of small. like a desk lamp or something. I mean, it's not big. It's, you know, no. yeah, I mean, it's probably, it was that it's big? probably like 18 inches tall, like maybe, maybe 12, 18 inches tall or something like that. It's not small. Like it's something that like you would put on your shelf and be like, everybody be like, Wow, that's kind of wild. The, okay, I I saw that and, and I thought it was like a, a a a figurine size, like you know, no bigger than four or five inches tall, like just something you put casually on the shelf. An eighteen inch bust of yourself, like are you that? No, like way. I have this little desk that, lamp right next to me, and I'm pretty sure it's. I mean, like from what I had seen it next to things, I think it's roughly, you know, maybe maybe between twelve and eighteen. I mean, it's not like I said, it's not small. It's not like a little bobblehead size type of thing. That's a, that's, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a large thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. And they were not cheap either. <laughs> like, oh, cause I saw that and it, it, okay. Cause I saw that and I didn't pay attention to the size of it. I looked at it and the, from the photography, the quick photo that I looked at, I thought maybe it was, you know, four or five inches tall, like just a little decorative, tiny decorative thing, like a joke I, almost um, like if that's. I mean, just because the picture that I had seen, it was like sitting on a desk next to other things, like for a frame of reference. And so like, I'm looking at, I'm like, that's not a, I mean, it's, that's not a small item. Oh, okay. That's a I would have been, I would have been okay. plenty happy if it was like, I think a bobblehead would have been hilarious. Like a literal bobblehead. Yes. <laughs> like yes. I would have bought 10 of those. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Well, it just shows, it just shows, shows how seductive it shows how seductive, it, you know, if you don't, if your identity is in yourself, is in your accomplishments, is in your works, is in is in your own mind, the performance of your own mind, yeah. you know, you will become, you will lose yourself yes. in that identity. You know, you'll lose touch with who you are as, as a human being and and mistake the image for reality. But again, if you put your identity in Christ, it's like, hey, yeah, no, I'm not going to lose lose my sense of identity because I like this one better. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was kind of a bummer to see that. Oh, it is. Well, <laughs> You know, like I often, I often say that like, you know, his first album, <laughs> you know, in like 2017, you know, right. like 27, you know, like a band, his first album was really good. And the second album was really good. You know, right. like the, the later, the later reunion. The, I mean, I saw him speak here in uh, Phoenix back in, I think it was, it was, uh, it was October, it was October, mm. you know, and like road life is, is tough on a dude. Like, Hey, performing at the highest level with your mind night after night on the road. Like yeah. I can't imagine doing and not, that. I mean, like, he was and fine. To give the guy credit, not to mention all of the like literal health things he's had going on for yeah. a few years now. And, you know, I mean, that guy went into some dark places for a good yeah. while. And so, for sure. I mean, I get it. But like, it just, I, I mean, it's, yeah. it's just how men are. Like I get it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and when we, and it's almost like when we venture into this realm of, media celebrity and influencer status that um it's it it like we're we're at risk of losing many things but mostly men are at risk of losing themselves mm. and i think there's a lot of that like this media created image happens 
and then they lose themselves in the media created image. It's like, how do you, like, how do you find your way out of that? And why, Mm. like, why would you do that? Right. You're now, you are now, you know, the world is paying attention to you and your notifications blowing up are blowing up and doors fly open whenever you email and everything happens, you know, when you pretend to be this character, but the reality of the man, you know, playing the character is much smaller. Maybe this is the root of imposter syndrome because they've allowed their projection to get so far beyond who they actually are. And it's just fallen nature of men, you know, like that's just that it's, I'm not surprised when I see any of that, you know, because there's, there's no, I mean, I guess they're not, there's no, there was one like perfect example of a man. (laughs) There was one ever, you know? And so when any of these things, like when, and we've had like several examples of them just in this conversation between Tate and Liver King and Jordan, like all these guys, like they see him and it's incredibly sad, but I'm like, I get it. Like that, if that happened to me, like I'm not above thinking that that's possible, like to happen to me. Like I would like Mm -hmm. to believe that it isn't because of all the other things in my life that how I've grown up, but like I get it, you know, and it's, it's a tough thing to, because everybody would say like, oh, if I had all this money, I would never have done this. I'm like, it's because you clearly have never been in any of these situations Mm -hmm. before. That's right. You know, there's, you, you can't project into that situation and have an actual understanding of what it is, you know? So when I, when I see like these, everything crumble down around celebrities or athletes or like, you know, guys that have reached these, what we would consider the pinnacles, I'm just not surprised. Like it's, it was going to happen. It had to have happened. Yep. And, and, you know, it also shows up in the Bible with like David and Solomon, both these guys lost, they lost their identity and they got mixed up. And Solomon writes about it. Like, isn't that Ecclesiastes? Like, I've tried it all. I've lost myself. And he doesn't say these words. Yeah. I've lost myself in all of it. There's nothing in any right. of it. Right, exactly. It's like, you think, you know, my buddy Ryan, Wizard of Kings, shout out Ryan, says like, you think you're going to do better than Solomon? <laughs> right. <laughs> Literally the wisest man to have ever lived. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And David, yeah. you know, he he had it all, including including love and fellowship yeah. with God. Yep. And even he he chose Bathsheba, you know, over, over righteousness, you know, it's like, there's something deeply sinful and fallen in us and human beings. If the best example, a man after my own heart, God says about David, if even the best, the best man in in history, like other than Jesus, Mm -hmm. right. Is susceptible to these temptations. What does that say about you as a man? Well, I think it's you listening, you, that's you. It it reminds me of, um, I'm pretty sure it was Paul Washer. So uh, this is going to be an incredibly uplifting statement. Um, there we go. <laughs> but, he said, but I think he said, um, you know, I'll paraphrase because I can't remember the exact wording, but it was something like, if God were to judge me in my single best millisecond of my life, it would only mm. earn me hell. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> was, he, was he crying or yelling when he said it? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, incredibly motivating <laughs> and uplifting, but, but not inaccurate. Yeah. You know what I mean? No. Like it it doesn't mean he's wrong. <laughs> like as <laughs> I got a friend friend Brandon who loves Paul Wow Washer. The dude's savage and absolutely correct. Yes. And absolutely yes. correct. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so so okay. So I want to flip this discussion around yes, to the other the other side. And the other side of that is like we're talking about all the dangers of celebrity, of which there are many. Mm. But I think 
that same set of threats dissuades many men from greatness. Mm. And I, I think we see this too. It's like, well, you know, it's, this, it's, it's similar to the argument like, well, I don't, I don't want to lift weights because I don't want to look like Arnold. It's like, okay, like it doesn't work that Have way. You heard it doesn't his like answer you go to that. It's, my, it's one of my favorite Arnold stories ever. I'll let you go when he it. When it was back in the 70s when he was working out at Venice Beach, there was a handful of guys who looked like truck drivers, right? And they come yeah. up to him and they're like, why would you do that? We'll, you know, we'll lift weights, but we never want to look like you. And he looked him right in the face. He's like, well, don't worry, you never will. And I'm like, that's such a true and gangster statement because it doesn't matter (laughs) how much you train in your life, you will never look like him. So it doesn't matter what you think you're going to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 uh, I, I did know that story and it's like, it's, it's just what a, what a comic, what do you say to that? Like, <laughs> you're just like, what, you're right. With I a guess. guy who looks <laughs> yeah, with a guy who looks like Arnold, nonetheless, <laughs> right. it's like, uh, uh bye. Right. Exactly. I'm going to take that L. So, okay. But I, I, but I think a lot of men in this, in the same reason they, they worry about falling into the pitfalls of, uh, vanity, yeah. let's say pride, lust, right. They worry about all those. And so it's like, they never set out on the adventure of becoming great in the first place because they're worried about where it may lead. And I, I think that that sin is less well talked about. You know, it's like better to stay safe at home than to set out on the road. You might lose yourself on the road. It's like, but yeah. no, you still have to set out, right? Well, and we see this and, and it's been kind of a, like a flashpoint conversation in the last couple of months uh, as it relates to fitness, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Uh, there's a lot of, cause our, our mutual friend, Nate Spearing got up and spoke at Michael Foster's conference and basically called the entire room, a bunch of fat people, like almost literally. Yeah. Right. And he had <laughs> yeah. people like, and it was a two and a half minute in between presentation speech and he had people <laughs> getting up and walking out like, yeah. you, and, and the fat people walking out. <laughs> right. But when, so when we're talking about their, they're using it. It's an excuse, right? They're using it as the excuse of, well, I don't want to chase vanity. I don't want to, you know, risk all of these other things that are very unlikely to happen anyways. But my question is always, well, what's the alternative? Like, Mm. are you, are you just literally going to be fat and unhealthy your entire life? And, or weak or, or fat and weak and unhealthy and have bad relationships and like for the rest of your life, because you're, you're, you're afraid of how it might look if you get fit. Like that's the whole root of the healthy at every size thing, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that's, that's the very base level of it is if you're, if you're p- trying to pursue health, that must mean you hate fat people. Right. And, right. and you're trying to shame everyone racist. who is, you're trying, or you're racist, or you're trying to shame That's everyone who one. isn't fit. You're trying to shame everyone who isn't fit by you being fit, like your existence, which I actually, I don't disagree with to a, to a, <laughs> to a degree, uh, because right. there's the, there's the quote that I love. That's like the only, uh, you know, to be free or what I can't, man, it's like the only true act of freedom is to be so free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And that's, that's kind of great quote. Yeah. And that's kind of the the point with the with the health thing. A lot of people are just using that excuse of, oh, I'm gonna, I'm I'm worried that I'm gonna look vain or turn into some vain or give off the appearance of being vain. Even like they're worried about other people's perception of them in a trait that they probably don't even have. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's great. Point. And a lot of it also has to do with people are scared to do that work. 
and yeah. they don't want, they don't like being uncomfortable. And I can tell you now it's way more expensive to be unhealthy in this country specifically, like, it, but it's way more, way more expensive to be unhealthy than it is to be healthy. And that's not the message that anybody's ever told anymore. It's all we're always told how, how expensive it is to get healthy food and to pay for gym memberships and stuff like that. And I'm like, go have a heart attack and then tell me what your doctor bill is later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we, and people not only try to dissuade that lifestyle of being healthy, pursuing health and fitness and strength, they actually embrace being unhealthy. Like it's, it's amazing to me. And I had Eric Kahn on, on my show several months ago, and he gave an example of a pastor that he knew, uh, I think back in Kentucky when he was at, when he was at seminary down there, um, that was a huge man. Like, I mean, belly big kind of guy, not like some big mm -hmm. imposing big dude, like belly was giant. And he said, mm -hmm. Uh, something to the effect of that just means you have more of me to hug. And it was like his term of endearment was how big his belly was. And mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, at some point, like we, we rap on science, you know, like that's kind of the joke is, well, how much do you trust the medical profession and science and all this stuff lately? But it's pretty undisputable, indisputable that body fat makes you greater risk for pretty much everything terrible health wise. Like, yeah, there's no way around that. And it's, it's such a, and I guess it's just my blinders from being in this profession. Like I'm not looking at it as someone who doesn't have literal invested interest in this fight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's, it's a, I never would have expected that conversation to have happened. Like, what do you, like, of course it's healthier to not be fat. Like what kind of conversation are we having here? Right. Yeah. It's, um. The, the, I think, and I think the whole notion of, of health, I think that that whole idea is it's true. There's a reality to it, but I think it, it misses, I think it misses the point because then you can, then you get into this notion of like, well, what is scientifically true about health? And then there's this study and they can puff, they can puff a whole lot of smoke. Yeah. You know what I mean about what, about what, what health is like, oh, well, you know, they, I don't know if you saw this like last week, I said, you know, obese men last longer in bed. In bed. I don't know if you saw that. That was a whole thing. Oh a study said that overweight men last longer in bed than fit men. It's like, you know, so it's like, who knows if there's, there's obviously not a lot of truth to that, but like maybe they have a study to support it. Right. And so then there's a bunch of smoke around right. it. So the case that I've been trying to make in my obesity series, and I think why the reception of it has been so positive for the most part yeah. is that I'm trying to make the case that fitness is, is godly that we're designed to be fit. And the further that we allow ourselves to get away from that, we're actually living in some form of sin, either not properly cultivating our physical, godly, divine strength, right? That's been given to us as men or our beauty as women, right? Or, or we're abusing or we're abusing the, the pleasure function of our bodies in some way by eating too much. And both of those are tightly linked. And, and the reason that I'm making that is that, you know, guys will come back to me and they're like, well, there's no, there's no fitness guidelines in the Bible. It's like true. Right. But like the idea that God has to I'd also disagree with that. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, like there isn't like a body fat percentage right. guideline. <laughs> in it, right. Right. But you know, the, the case that I'm, the case that I'm making and like, look, I'm not a theolo theologian or a pastor or anything like that, but it seems to me that God made man uh, and woman in his image to serve each other in very specific ways. 
And that is our responsibility, mm-hmm. right? And so if, if our physical bodies don't allow us to properly serve each other in the ways that God calls us to, we have to change our physical bodies. I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable, right? Yeah. But like, you can't really, I mean, it's not to say that God has, you know, body fat percentage guidelines and dietary guidelines, and these are your macro splits. You right. know what I mean? Like, I don't read that into Revelation, but he did design us in a particular way to be particular things to each other. Mm-hmm. And now we're in this world where our bodies, our phys- like physical constitution of the health of our bodies gets in the way of doing that. And if that's the case, we have to remove that physical limitation of our bodies, change our bodies so that we can do that. And, and and I don't think that you can argue with that, really. And I mean, you can people do? Oh yeah, people. I was gonna say people <laughs> love to argue about it. But yeah. how many examples, just in the Corinthians alone, does Paul mm. make about how he treats his body, like in terms of discipline yeah. and looking after it as a temple, like mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. And he makes that example. If you think back to any time prior to that. Old Testament wise, how meticulously detailed the instructions were on how to build a temple. Mm. Right? Good point. There was chapters about all the things required (laughs) to build temples, certain ways you had to enter them, certain things that could only take place inside of them. Right? And then Mm -hmm. Paul literally calls our body a temple. Mm -hmm. And we're just supposed to treat it like nonchalantly, like, ah, whatever. Like, like it's some mm-hmm. just graffiti laden, like brick wall in an alley somewhere. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it was, it's, I mean, that's why I'm so, you know, looking at it from the, the fitness side and then also from the faith side, I, I can't see how it's open to interpretation. You know, yeah. like we're given countless examples of how to treat our bodies and the importance mm-hmm. of them in service to each other and to God. Mm-hmm. That's a really great point. Building, building the temple, blowing my mind right now because you're, <laughs> you're out. Well, no, like because I remember years ago when I tried to read, um, I tried to read the Bible cover to cover before I was a Christian, and I remember getting into. I think it's probably in Exodus or Leviticus or something like that, somewhere in Ex- Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, where it's like it's just t- page after page after page of all the very different detailed instructions for building the temple. And I worked my way all the way through that. It's like, so I know how detailed those mm-hmm. instructions are. And so if you, and so you're right, if you do refer to your body as a temple, if you do, if you do even consider it that way, which you should, then here's how God treats temples. He's very specific. Now, is he that specific about the body temple? Like, is there, are there chapters and chapters on fitness? Right. No, but, but the case that I also make is that for, for many of these, for many of these writers, it wasn't, it wasn't a question that they dealt with. Right. And, and also like, I, I think we're, we live in such a unique sin environment that I think it's important to find our way out of that to something much more godly. And then in, in that, there's a, there's a piece of revelation in that, like being lost and then being found mm-hmm. again. Because what I often tell people is like, look, if I could snap my fingers and you would get to spend 24 hours in your ideal fitness body, right? Fitness, not physique necessarily, but fitness yep. are two different yep. things. Right. And shout out principality of spirit on Instagram for alerting me to that distinction. But if I could snap my fingers and you would spend 24 hours in your ideal fitness body at the end of 24 hours, you would be begging me to never go back. You have no idea. You have no idea how healthy you could be, how vibrant and alive that you you could be if you were just there. And there's a ton of work to get there. Not going to lie, but it's worth Mm -hmm. it. It's absolutely worth it. And I think 
people are, are I think they're afraid of two things. I think they're afraid of the work mm-hmm. and I think they're afraid of, they're actually afraid of happiness because ha- happiness and service, they go hand in hand and then you really have to And serve. I'll add a third. I think they're mm-hmm. afraid of realizing how far away they've gotten. Like having that, they're like, wow, this is, I yeah. am bad. Like I say bad shape literally and in the more broad sense, mm-hmm. like this is yeah. bad. You know, and mm-hmm. realizing that I've wasted a lot of time being unhealthy or not at my potential, like that yeah. can really mess with people. And then, and like to mm-hmm. use and, and to go back, the reason that that distinction with the temple, you know, I while there isn't specific health and fitness instructions, the reason I always make this because I don't, you know, those guys didn't use words accidentally when they wrote mm. scriptures. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When, when they were writing out yeah. those things, like he used the word temple on purpose. Like he didn't mm-hmm. say, you know, your body is a really nice building, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Cause there was plenty of like nice buildings that look great. He said, your body's a temple and mm-hmm. we have very specific ways that we are to treat temples. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a really good point. That's a, that's a, and I, I think that's, and you know, I, I want to make clear, by the way, that I don't think either of us are coming from a, a, a holier than thou position. Mm. You know, like I can run, I can fight, I can lift, right? Like I, I can, mm. I can put my body into service. Do I have an amazing physique? No, but I can do these things because I treat my body the right way, mm. and I want to treat it better to get so I can get better at doing those things. But the purpose is my body should be fit, fit for service, right? And this is my answer to the vanity to the vanity question. Like the vanity question is like, oh, well, then I'll develop this physique and be taking all these photos of myself in the mirror all the time. Well, maybe you'll get that. Like the reason why, um, what's that sprinter's name? Like, oh, sprinters in general. The reason why sprinters have the physique they do is that any extra pound of fat in their body slows them down. You know what I mean? So like their body reflects, their body reflects Mm -hmm. the use that they're putting it to, Mm -hmm. right? But for the vast majority of people, like for a man, maintaining sub 12% body fat is probably not something someone who works in an office environment is going to be do, be able to do super easily. But can you, I mean, you would know more about that, but like, that seems like a very difficult thing to kind of, especially if you're living an office kind of lifestyle. Well, and I think that goes to, there's a lot of things that go into that. I mean, that's a whole, yeah. a whole separate conversation that we can have about like how the water we drink isn't really water, how, you know, how, how the food that we eat is not what it was. You know, there's yeah, all of these okay. things, there's all these point. things that's that go into point. that. That's not that's meant to be said as an excuse, right? Yeah. At the same, because all that is doing is just putting up these things. It's like, well, I'm, I'm only capable of this, even though like if with just this much more work, I could go past that. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. I reflect my lack of knowledge is like, is it easy to stay there? Because my understanding from men is that like, you can stay at that sub 12, sub 12 percent yeah, place. I mean, body for, types yeah. vary. vary. I so I mean, like there's a level sure, where it's okay. like, there's an app, you know, there's a, there's a window where it's like, what would yeah. be considered what should be attainable and maintainable. Right. Yeah. I would exactly. say generally it's between like that 10 to 14 is what men are capable yeah. of yeah, yeah. maintaining. Right. And, sure. and getting there. And, and, and the reason we know that is because that's pretty much where most men were all the time for a long time, you know? Yeah. And, and, yeah, in, yeah. and in a lot of cases, worse off conditions than we are now. Right. And well, 
it depends on what you and mean I, by and worse. I, and I caveat yeah. that with saying like the food was of better quality, but sometimes there was none. Sometimes they were. It's, it's really easy to have low body fat when you're not eating. <laughs> exactly, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. I mean, there's there's all this nuance <laughs> to it, but the point being is that people, yes, are scared of the amount of work that it's going to take without understanding what the work actually is going to be. Like they have no idea how much it's actually going to take. And and in my experience coaching, most of the time people reach goals a lot sooner than they think they will because of. Sure how, not how simple it is, but what's actually attainable. Like they just don't think that, and it's sad because they don't believe that they're capable of these things. As long as you have some sort of system and discipline and it's more about the daily habits, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. rather than these big grandiose things. And I think to tie it back in, I think that's actually the part of what Paul is talking about the most is like the daily discipline of our bodies, Right. Yeah. I think that was a lot of where he was going with that, not allowing, not allowing us to be these over-consuming, you know, whatever guys in the in the wheelchair from Wally. Right. And mm-hmm. right. And those daily habits are much more indicative. And also the the point that there's there is no end date to fitness. You know, like the end date is when you die. So there's not going to be a place where you're like, I have reached fitness. I have achieved fitness <laughs> and I'm done. And like, I, I can yeah. now just dial back and I'll be on this, on this other plan that just allows me to keep this forever. And like, that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Like you're all, we're always right. improving and doing something to improve. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a strength metric. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's just how you sleep. Maybe it's not even like a fitness related thing. You're, you're realizing you have better energy. There's all of these things that go into this that it's about what you do every day until you're done. Like, and I say done yes. as in dead, you know, like yes. you can do the 12 weeks, the whatevers, and that's great. And maybe that's the good jumping off point. But as long as you realize like this is lifelong, you're, there's never that mm-hmm. point where you're going to get like the bells rung. You have achieved fitness and you're done. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, and, I, and, I, and there are a lot of nuances and everything that you're saying that I think are really important. One of them is that fitness is a, is a journey, mm-hmm. meaning in the sense like it's something that you're always doing at every stage of life. You measure the journey by specific deliverables yeah. that you set for yourself, yep. right? Like, okay, so I'm on, like, oh, this year I'm on a fitness journey where I want to increase my bench press or my deadlift or, or whatever, or I want to like right now I'm going to be investing a lot in boxing this year because I really enjoy getting better at yeah. boxing as it turns out. Right. So I'm putting things towards a specific direction of fitness to do a thing. Right. Right. And so, so rather than physique being like, I need to look this way that this person that I saw in a magazine looks right. These fitness models, that's physique. Right. And yeah, you can have physique be part of your fitness journey. Sure. But also like, what is it that Ian Smith, Ian mm-hmm. Smith from Attila's mm-hmm. gym says, or something like that. It's like, no, it was someone else. Uh, maybe uh, maybe it was Andrew Tate, actually. Like all these bodybuilders, they actually want to be fighters. You know what I mean? Like mm. they mean, in the message of that is that they, they actually want to be doing something with their bodies, right? And so I think these nuances all get lost. It's like we get so obsessed with our eyes and we have to look like the thing that we see on the screen and lose sight of the fact that that's a, that's a, a particular way of living that is meant to have an appearance, not right. our body in sure. service, yep. right? It's not functional necessarily. And it's not like you can't, it's not a, it's not an accessible lifestyle for many people, I think is another thing. 
And it's definitely not Christian. You know, I don't, I mean, not, not to say that I don't want to say that if you're a bodybuilder who's listening and they have that physique that you're not Christian or something like that. But I, I but I think that's a particular role that's being served versus what the average husband and father might be looking for in his body to do to serve his wife and kids. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like maybe I'm getting lost in all of that because I'm trying to pull, pull a bunch of pieces apart. I don't know how successful. No, I understand. I understand exactly what you mean. And you're right. The idea of having a, like use the word purpose, having a purpose for the things that I'm yeah. doing or what I want out of this temple, right? This, this mm-hmm. vessel that we're on, yes, that we yeah. have, right? Uh, that's how, and, and at least that's how I have designed and utilized my training in, in recent years. Like before I had a very sp- perfect example before when I was an athlete, I had to train to be good at a very certain thing. Right. So my training all reflected me being good at a very certain thing. Right. Ever since then, like my, my priorities have changed. I mentioned like, I have two kids, I have a wife, I have a business, I have all these other things. Like my training and the way that my body moves and functions needs to be optimized to me to support these things. And in doing so, I'm serving the Lord by taking care, by taking care of this thing that he gave me. Right. Like it's, a complete gift that we have this, this body. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and this, and this is the other avenue that I always look at it from like how disrespectful if we treat it like a dump when it was given to us, mm-hmm. you know, like what other gift are you going to in the sight of the person that gave it to you? Like drop, kick it across the room. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or just like, and that's ignore a, it or just ignore it, not acknowledge it, you know, and, uh, and, and it gathers dust on a shelf and, or maybe you never even open it. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. but we, but people do that daily. I mean, like, and, and I have definitely gone through phases where it's like, man, I've really fallen off lately. So like, mm-hmm. I am just as susceptible as this and anybody is, by the way, like everybody. Yeah. And I, I mean, say, I say anybody, I mean, everybody, like even the, the fittest mm-hmm. of fitness professionals will say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm dialed in discipline wise, but there are definitely seasons to this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause ultimately like the people that you see in movies and on TV, they have elite chefs preparing all their meals for them. It's a let's, job. It's a, it's a job. job for most of them. That's right. Well, yep. let's, let's leave aside the performance enhancing substances that many of them do, mm-hmm. which they all, for the most part, are pretty open about like that, you know, like uh, Chris Hemsworth in the new Thor movie, Thor, love yeah. and thunder. Like he looks pretty incredible. Not natural. There's, was, he's paid to look incredible. He's paid to look incredible. His whole if you're life, paid millions of dollars to look a certain way, you're going to do what it takes to look a certain way. That's exactly, that's exa- <laughs> that's exactly right. So, so even setting that aside, the amount of effort, money, energy, right, that they're able to put into their appearance specifically for the reason of the appearance itself, yeah. right? Like that's, that's, that's them. That's not the way that many people are. But... Just because that's the way that they are doesn't mean that there aren't things that we can't learn from them. Right. Right. And, and I think that's the ditch on the other side of the road. It's like, well, I'll never look like Chris Hemsworth, so I'm never going to try. So that must yes. mean, you know, because he's a celebrity, it's okay that I look terrible or perform. Not taking terrible. into account that just that man's discipline is on another level. Yes. Because he can have all those things done for him. He's still got to do and eat and train and do all of these yeah, things. Yeah, that's a good point. You know? Yeah. And so it's like, he, he's not just get laying on the couch, getting injected with stuff. And it's, he's not 
like the Captain America thing. Like yeah, he doesn't yeah, go yeah. into a tank and get injected and come out as Captain America. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. That's yeah, not yeah. how it works. Like he just trained for uh, 15 years. Yes. You know, in the Hemsworth example specifically. Yeah. Like he has trained for 15 years to look like the God of Thunder mm -hmm. from the comic books. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is daily for him. So, yeah. I mean, if we, if we're thinking that, oh, I'm never going to look like that, but man, what does he, how does he approach his days? Mm -hmm. What can I learn from the way that he sets up his disciplinary schedule? Like how did, like, what can I learn from how he goes into the weight room to train? Mm -hmm. Like there's all kinds of things like understanding. Yeah. There's only one Chris Hemsworth, you know, mm -hmm. like that's why he's the one who is him. Mm -hmm. He's the one who's playing Thor's because there's only one of him, mm -hmm. you know? And so if we look at that, yes, we're the, the, the outward appearance of it will not be achievable for 99% of the people, right? Yeah. But that's not what I'm looking at when I'm seeing like, wow, yeah, he probably did a bunch of stuff I would never do, but he's also doing a lot of stuff I currently am not because I can't. Right. Like, I, you know, it's, it's crazy. And I have like, a lot of respect for those guys that train as hard as they do because, you know, we, and we give the bodybuilder, bodybuilder example, there's not a more disciplined eater on the planet than yeah. a bodybuilder. It's true. It's true. Like they, they are... They know every grain of food that goes into their bodies. Yeah. And most people are not capable of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, and, and then that example, like we talk about, is their stuff functional? Well, whatever. But what can we learn about how they eat? Right. Like, you know, other things aside. So there's always, like you said, there's always something to learn, even if that, you know, if I want to look like that him, him at some point, whatever, maybe you get there. Maybe it takes a long time, but there's plenty to learn. Yeah. Um, all of these examples. Yeah. And what I'm trying to do with that is, is to break out, to, to make it really clear to men listening that, um, that there are principles that you can learn from, from these men, yeah. right. It is, is to say, um, is to say that there are still things that every man listening can achieve. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to throw out the entire sport because those guys still yeah. go in there and train, like still mad. have to do the stuff. Yeah, they earn every bit of their every bit of their muscle through through the through uh, defeating gravity repeatedly, right? So I don't mean to yeah. take anything away from that, but also like I don't want to I, I want to take a take out from that what's applicable to the average man, mm -hmm. so that he can still feel accountable and responsible for what's achievable from that, whatever that might be. So I'm trying to separate a bunch of things well, from each I think, other. Uh, well, and I think a lot of it is. Once it begins to happen, people and, and men specifically, right? They will realize you don't you don't realize how bad you felt until you start to feel really good. Yeah. And so after that, then you're like, I am now whatever I was looking at as inspiration before, like that's not what I'm comparing myself to anymore. Now I'm comparing myself to myself from a year ago. Yes. You know, and it's like, how much stronger and more things am I capable of doing now than the me from 12 months ago? Yeah. Right. And then that almost every time, like that becomes what is internally motivating for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not what they have at the beginning to get them going, but that's where like the community, the support, the accountability, the coaching, that's what that's all for. Mm -hmm. But then they start to see, I actually feel great. I'm yeah. feeling stronger. How did I live like that dude? of like me from a year ago for so long. Mm -hmm. Right. And so now I'm working because I want to keep improving on all of this. Like that, I am done with that back there. I am moving forward. I am continuing to improve daily. Mm -hmm. 
So let's talk a little bit. I know you have to go in a minute, but let's talk yeah. a little bit about, about the uh, community that uh, you and I are helping to build with Nate and a couple other guys that uh, yeah. help, help put this into reality for a lot of Christian men's lives. Yeah. So it's been a few months now, um, but this idea had kind of spawned from, there's all kinds of fitness groups, there's all kinds of like men's groups, mm-hmm. right? And there's all kinds of like Christian men's groups, right? Yes. I was having a hard time finding one that was all of them, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that is supportive in the way that we're talking about. Like it's, it's other Christian men that realize and understand the importance of taking care of themselves physically and what that leads to in, in terms of service to others and service to Lord and how important that is. And then having a community built essentially around that, even though there's many avenues away from that, that spawn conversation, right? But that's like kind of the heart of it. And so, you know, I, I had this idea with some from inspiration from a couple other guys who were in the group. And I was like, let's just, let's just do something. Let's just put everybody in a group and like have a bunch of channels. We can talk about stuff. And like, I don't really know where it's going to go, but we started this thing uh, that we're effectively calling the barbell tavern, which was like a pretty catchy name that I thought sounded really cool. uh, And kind of encapsulates what (laughs) the the kind of the vibe of, of the inside of it is. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've got like 20, I mean like 23 now guys in there. Wow. And we just started a, yeah, it's kind of, kind of cool. We just started a little 12 week challenge amongst all of us in the group and there's trash talk channel, but it's, you know, it's, it's all in good fun, but we're pushing each other to be healthy for these reasons that we're talking about. Yeah. Right. It's, it's it's how do we, yes, it's how do we treat the temple? Mm -hmm. How do we utilize it for our families, for our wives, our children, for our church, for our local communities, for God, right? And that's like where it started. And from there, we have like all of these other cool little channels set up, you know, to talk about just other interests that we have, but that's what builds the community. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, we've talked about if at some point we, you know, open it publicly to to everybody, like we might get there at some point. We're kind of just like letting friends in right now till we kind of build what we really want it to be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I can say right now, it's been like immensely helpful for me already just to have a group that I'm not the coach of, yeah. like that I can be in with everybody else. Cause like I, I run a couple of these other like groups that are similar to this, but I'm always the one who's running it. So I'm like, the coach and I have, yeah. I have to kind of be detached from it a little bit, mm-hmm. you know? And so I really love and appreciate that all of us kind of have our own, our own gifts and our own things that we can bring to the group and, and build out and hold each other accountable that way. Cause I need it just as much as anybody else. Yeah. It's not hierarchical in that way. You know, it's no. like, we're all, we're all in there together, sharing our knowledge and experience and, and uh, yeah. And, and there's a couple other you. guys that are trainers, which is like, that's awesome. Like yeah. th- we can do Q and A's and ask people things and, and there's other perspectives. That's not just mine, you know, which is, that's great. And the appeal of it to me, I remember you invited me into it and I was thinking about it. And then when it finally clicked for me that, wait a minute, this is a conversation that actually needs to happen, particularly within the reform faith, you know, around, uh, and that seems to be the general uh, disposition of many of the men in there is that, is that, yep. you know, we are called to uh, 
bring the gospel to the earth. We are, we are evangelists. We are evangelizing. And the reality is that uh, who we are as men and how we present ourselves, including physically, says as much about what we believe as what comes out of our mouths, right? And so, and so it's, it's incumbent upon us in this increasingly fallen world, falling faster all the time, mm-hmm. that if we're, if we're truly going to bring the kingdom to men and women, we should embody the kingdom and we should be mm-hmm. treating our bodies like the temples that Paul says they are. That's our, that's our, that's our call. That's our responsibility. Right. And, and, and when I, when I realized that this was a place that we could actually start doing that man to man online and that you had put together, I'm like, yes, I'm in, (laughs) what can I do? How can I make my values real around me? And it's really cool because we have, I think, I think if I'm correct, there's a 23 year gap between the youngest and the oldest in the group, Yeah, which is cool. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, there's a, there's a whole breadth of experience and perspective there that is helpful for all of us in, yeah. from the accountability standpoint, from the knowledge standpoint, but everybody has their own thing. And we talked like all of these hierarchy things before, right? There isn't necessarily, because there doesn't need to be that we're all holding each other accountable to pursue this thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And all of us have our own reasons for being there. Yeah. And so, like I said, I mean, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fitness guy, but there's other parts of this that we talk about that I am, I'm very novice at, right? Mm-hmm. And I need that input and that knowledge and that accountability just as much as some of the guys who are coming into it needing a little bit more of the fitness stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, these are the ways that we lift each other um, up as men. And these, mm-hmm. are the, this is, these are the gifts that we bring each other in community and the way that we, we harmonize all of our different experiences and values to move together in a singular direction like boys hunting. Yeah. And it's going to be fun to take everybody's money when I win the challenge at the end of the 12 weeks. So yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a trash talk channel. Okay. I I realize you got to go, but, um, before you, before you head out, um, this has been great. This is what happens when you get two podcast hosts talking. (laughs) (laughs) It's fantastic. Exactly. So, um, uh, where would you like to send men to find out more about you and what you do? Yeah. First, thanks, man. Uh, really appreciate getting yeah, yeah. to spend some more time chatting. So uh, it was sure. a lot of fun. Um, nomad-strength.com is the main website. My coaching programs are available there. Um, I'm Coach Ross Hillier on Instagram. That's where the majority of the stuff is mm-hmm. is posted from content-wise. And then the podcast is the Nomad Strength Show. Um, two shows a week. One of them is a guest episode, guest interview. And then the other one, as of the last couple of months has been kind of its own show that I do with my good friend, Brandon Lilly, who was a former power lifter. And uh, we both pursue the outdoors together. And so there's a lot of fitness and outdoors content that comes from, from that show, which is fun. So that's great, man. All of them. And we're here, we're here on Riverside because I heard about this platform from you. So thanks for that. Hey, all right. Yeah. yeah awesome. Cool, brother. Well, thank you so much for all of this. And, uh, and yeah, let's, uh, let's really hope that this reaches some men and, and calls them to a, to higher standard. Amen, man. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.